Recorded in the darkest dungeons of the basement of Death Studio, Josh, Troy, and Ty present a show dedicated to bringing you, the listener, into the adventure right along with them. Pick up your sword or load your bolt gun, but don't forget your helmet, because it is time for some playin' and slayin'. From the BOD studio, it is playing and slaying. Episode 51. We made it over the hump. We are now counting full numbers again. Episode 51. Welcome to the show, friends. Thank you for joining me. Tonight, we're going to talk about what we've been playing. Uh, albeit, you know, not, not as much, but hopefully soon in person. Uh, what we've been hobbying, building, painting, um, staring at on our desk, not doing anything with, and also acquiring because we do that a lot and we do that in droves. And that acquisition often leads to what our main topic is going to be uh, for the show. We're going to dive into this poorly kept secret of the hobby uh, called the Opportunity Shelf Pile Closet. Um, we won't be shaming. We will not use the term pile of shame, uh, but we are going to explore the reasons why most of us uh, in the in the gaming sphere uh, that we all live in have one and uh, maybe some ideas what you can do with it or, you know, ways to, to really continue to keep it on the positive. Uh, so let's let's get into what everyone's really here for the segment that I know uh, everyone listens to and then probably immediately turns us off. But when you're playing and slaying, it is important to stay hydrated. Troy, what are you drinking tonight? Uh, I am a big I'm a big letdown. Oh no. Well wah, wah. sorry. Wah, wah, I was wah. I was is this double letdown night from Troy and I? No, what? I was, well Bryce, you usually I'm sorry. I shouldn't pick on Bryce right away and say that. We kinda Bryce is kind of expected <laughs> from at this point. It, but no I was I I had kind of a I had a kind of a headache this morning and so I didn't really want to do too much and uh so I actually made coffee so but it's it's four sigmatic mushroom coffee so I can at least make it mildly interesting uh, so Say that one more time four sigmatic mushroom coffee yep okay so, so good 50 milligrams of caffeine and then it's also supposed to help your cognitive function so that i can actually make words and other things like that that we're doing for this so um and so a it's little like alpha brain yeah coffee it's, yep kind of kind of along the same lines. so so i had a motivation so i could i guess i could have dumped uh i don't know what you put in your what do you put in your coffee brandy something else like that i could have splashed in there too Ooh, irish whiskey is really good I, mm-hmm. oh i don't know if i don't see i don't know if i own any of that but then you put just yeah. a little bit of whipped cream on top mm. and uh you have an irish coffee yeah i did do i do like a splash of almond milk and then I actually did just a little bit of my maple syrup just to give it a little little nice sweetener to it so so there that's a whole lot about my non-alcoholic drink unfortunately but 
Next time I come over, Drew, I want you to brew brew up a uh, cup of Four Sigmatic mushroom coffee for me. I want to see what I'm missing out on. You can. All right. So while Troy is getting caffeinated and warming up, Bryce, you said you spoke, you foreshadowed the disappointment. Uh, Let me guess. We've got a bottle of water. So close. It's it's a glass tonight. (laughs) Big Wisconsin Badger cup full of water. See, my excuse is I just got my second dose of the vaccine, so I'm still trying to rehydrate this body of mine. So there you go. That's right. Getting ready to reacclimate in the board game nights. Yep. Back into the pond. All right. Well, Bryce, I'm not fully disappointed by you because, you know, you had a reason. Uh, but I'll I'll save my disdain for the next time you drink water and don't have a good reason. Josh, let's let's put one on the board for the drinkers out there. <laughs> Here we what go. Are you drinking? From Central Waters Brewing Company in Elmhurst, Wisconsin. Perfect. Or Am- Amherst? Amherst. Uh, it's Honey Blonde Ale. It is ale brewed with honey. It actually says that on label, so I figured I'd say it. It's delicious. Is it brewed by a blonde, too? or? Uh, yeah, we'll go with that. Sure. <laughs> Wonderful. Well, I I also have a Wisconsin uh, brewery. I'm drinking the seasonal release uh, from the spring by Third Space Brewing. They're Mystic Knot, the barrel-aged Irish-style coffee stout. Uh, so they, they age it for about seven months in bourbon barrels. Um, it has Stone Creek, which is a local uh, ro- coffee roastery and a um, couple coffee shops in the area. It uses their Three Volcanoes coffee. And it's their Imperial Cream Stout. Comes in around ten and a half. That's what they put on the label. It feels like closer to thirteen percent alcohol by volume. Um, it's a got a one. nice bourbon Ooh. chase. It's just this really nice Irish cream stout that's barrel aged, and that's Mystic Knot from Third Space, one of my favorite local Milwaukee breweries. So, only got two four packs this year. It set me back fifty dollars, but. Uh, I'm I'm slowly making my way through them. I think I have three left, and I'm going to be very sad when I have to wait till next March to uh, pick up to pick up more. Oh, that sounds wonderful! It's it's yeah. I mean, if so, they do a pre-order. You have to pre-order it, or they keep it. You know, in in the uh, tap room, you can get it for a while around then. But if you don't get the pre-order, they don't sell this stuff in stores. Yeah. They don't really distribute it. You go pick it up from the brewery on the weekend after St. Patrick's Day, usually. Um, but it's something I do every year. So nice. All right, let's talk about games and playing games. And this next one, I uh, I am very interested to hear Troy's side of it because I did hear from. Uh, his two brothers, John and Ben, the night they played this game, a little bit about it. So, Troy, let's talk about Fleet. All right. Fleet is uh, a card game that uh, it was uh, from Eagle Griffin Games, uh, designed by Ben Pinchback, Matt Riddle. Um, I think Matt Riddle, people have heard some of his name around some other things. Uh, It is uh, what's kind of, you are... 
basically taking fishing boats out and getting some fish and whoever wins gets the most points. It's kind of a, I don't know what the right, it's not, it's not really a deck builder. It's more one of these, it's got an auction phase to it. Basically the first phase is you're putting out cards to buy a license or a license, fishing license of different kinds of fish, um, kind of betting that, that you can get boats out and then actually get some of some of those fish in some of the further rounds. Um, and then you kind of just keep replaying that until I think you run out of uh, cards through the auction. Um, and there's a couple different ways to gain points, different, the different kinds of fish get you different things, different uh, building certain, like you can have a fish processing plant and that lets you uh, turn some money into, into, to points and so forth. Um, so you're kind of balancing between having enough money and not spending your money on, on the, too much on the auction. So you have money to actually get you cause you need to get people launch your boats and that costs you money. So there's a, like it comes to different choices and a bunch of different ways to kind of score points and, um, pretty light, you know, it's not, you know, once we kind of got through it and I think we played it two or three times that night cause it doesn't take too long. Um, and uh, so it, it kind of reminded me, if anybody's played, kind of like a race for the galaxy. Um, oh, like, okay. Um, you know, where you're kind of like you have to, you know, it, it, so it kind of has different phases like that where you want to get the cards out and you're kind of building. And, you know, in race for the galaxy, you're building planets and settlements. And here you're getting, it's really fishing boats and fishing, things like that. But it's a lot, a little lighter version. I say well, probably a much lighter version than race for the galaxy, but kind of a, a similar feel to it. So. Um, so I mean, for what it was, I thought it was kind of fun for us to, um, to just try it out. It was one of those ones that was on, um, board game arena and we're always like, oh, let's just try this game and see what, um, and I had heard, I think this had actually gotten some decent awards or had some good talk about it when it came out, um, a few years ago. It's not, not super new. I think it's, I don't know if it's three or five years old, something like that. Um, but had some good, uh good talk about it so uh, so for what it is i don't know what it actually costs in person i can't imagine it's too much but uh kind of a nice like kind of in that middle between like a filler game and a, and a full blast bone game um because it plays pretty quickly on uh, some of that so so that's kind of fleet yeah going out cool. fishing stuff so and i think i don't, I don't know I'll, I'll say that maybe my brothers were upset i think i won both i can't no i don't think i did i think john won one of the games i can't remember Holy I think shit. there, I think there was some talk about, um, you know, Troy shenanigans, uh, but it it did <laughs> sound well received by by the other Weiss brothers. It's board game arena. You can't cheat. It's hard to. Well, uh... I mean, you know, you stack decks with computer code. I I don't know what you're <laughs> capable of. And the other, um, the our other game that night was we must have played this around uh, Easter time. And Board Game Arena, what they did is they, on their website, they basically had a bunch of Easter eggs, like <clears> literal <throat> little graphic Easter eggs. There was like, I think they told you it was like 24 or something else like that, hidden on on all their different pages throughout the, and, and so we that late into that night, we were all then trying to find all 20 some of the Easter eggs on Board Game Arena, and they gave you a little badge or something else like that, so... Um, it was, uh, I, it was one of those ones where like, why are we doing this? No reason except they made us do it. And so, and then, and then we got close You get, cause then we got to like 22 out of the 24 or something like that. And then we were just like, then we're in, right. All right. We've got to find where the hell these last two eggs are on their site. And so, <laughs> but we were, yeah, between the four of us, we were able to then kind of figure it out. So that was, uh, that was kind of fun. 
And then um, the other night I, I randomly joined Discord uh, and I saw Troy streaming. And as I was getting ready to play a little Valheim, um, which has slowed down a little bit after beating the boss, but, you know, John is still building ridiculous tree houses. And every so often I log on to, you know, hunt goblins or something. Um, but I, I saw Troy streaming and I didn't see anyone else in the channel. So I, I dropped in and I was treated to the, the first uh, that I had witnessed live stream of Zombie Side Invaders. Uh, the Adepticon edition as you and John were playing and, and broadcasting. I got special, you know, camera angles uh, as Troy was streaming from his phone. Then there was an overhead showing the table. Uh, so how about... How about taking that one, Troy, and telling a little bit about your setup and what you guys did? Yeah, so it was uh, kind of two-phase. One was the, um, we finally, after whatever, a year and a half now, we broke out the Zombicide Invaders um, 3D printed board and set that we were planning to run at Adepticon, whatever that was, 2020? Was that when we were supposed to go? Um, so... Finally, uh, and John had come over to do some in-person stuff. And we were like, oh, let's let's break this out. Because it was one I wanted to do as we were around Adepticon time. And I was like, ah, I think let's let's break out and pretend what we would have done if we would have go to Adepticon to, to play these games. So uh, so we broke that out. That was the scenario. And we were still, it was good because we had never really play tested that scenario completely. Um, we had a pretty good idea, but there were still some tweaks we wanted to make to it. Um, and it's just, it's kind of a, a rescue, basically like a lot of the uh Zombicide Invader scenarios. It's a rescue scenario. You have to. You kind of start out, and the our uh, our heroes have to go and get two scientists, and then battle their way through all the aliens to and Xenos to get to the the get out again. And so, uh, I think that first night, did we get? I'm trying to think. I think we got rocked. We <laughs> we got about halfway because I think you were with us early, and then we didn't. We actually ended up not winning that one. I don't think. Um, I think we ended up getting getting beat up pretty bad. Um, about halfway through it. And then, uh, and then we ended up playing the next weekend we came in, actually we did a reset and, uh, uh, and played it again. And that, that worked out, uh, worked out a little better, but think again, like typical zombicide, you have to have a little luck go your, is a, you know, some skill and a little luck needs to go your way too, that you just don't get some crazy combination of cards and how things spawn. But, uh, uh but it was fun. And it kind of, I think we, yeah, we dusted that off. And then we had kind of played around. I was playing around with the idea of, Hey, it'd be cool to kind of, you know, either YouTube or, or stream this kind of out uh, as to maybe that's our uh, my Adepticon event <laughs> people could join. So I was playing around with uh, yeah we had because uh, over the the pandemic here I've been slowly like collecting like everyone else collecting video equipment and and audio <laughs> equipment and like everybody right everybody's been playing around with streaming in some form. Um, but uh, yeah, I got the OBS fired up and tried to figure and mounted a camera above the table. Um, and then also I had another camera, like just using my phone for a handheld and then through OBS be able to do some stuff there. So well, I don't know whether that's kind of a precursor. We see whether we actually throw it on our, a Twitch channel or record some stuff for YouTube. That's still kind of one of my plans. I just have to um, carve out some time to, to sit down and do it. So um, and maybe it'll be, uh, yeah, maybe I still have it. I'm looking at it right now. I still haven't put it away off the table <laughs> it's still all right here in front of me so maybe all, we'll play all it one we really more needed was some commentary i needed a little color i needed to hear yeah. about you know this guy and why he's on the space station and how he's trying to get home to his you know son and his wife and the 
two cats um, that they got. It was missing a little color. Oh, I think we can. Yeah, we can do that because yeah, that's what's kind of the the characters. Again, they do a good like you're right. Simon does a decent job. Like all these characters actually do have a pretty interesting yeah. uh, backstory. Even in some of them, that because some of them are right based off other IP that that they stole <laughs> from. Right, uh, especially the you know there's a lot of again aliens and other space any any space show i think they created characters during the kickstarter that um are in uh zombicide invaders so yeah you can definitely we can definitely spice it up and add uh add some uh, narrative to it too and so and it's not hard yeah once you get into the action too it's actually not hard to um to create i mean there's not a, there's a lot of narrative the game itself creates too as you get uh the xenos popping up all over and uh and it is i mean invader like ramps up really really quickly like it the way that they do the spawning there, um, that things kind of, they don't necessarily, they can spawn on the mold and then the, you have abominations are kind of, you get a lot of abominations and the abominations actually get the most activation. So you can, they can really kind of cause havoc if you don't deal with them. Um, and so, but again, you have your ability to kill stuff is kind of ramped up also. So you do have a kind of a lot of action that happens pretty quickly and in invaders so it's a little different than like your typical zombicide or your zombicide black plague so and then you went from zombicide aliens in space to aliens yep um i'm assuming this is all you playing because the rest of us don't don't play games you're the only one that <laughs> i've been be and i and i feel like i haven't played games either but as i did this i'm like oh i guess we played a few a few things so um so a while i think last did this come out? This came out sometime in the last year of whatever. Is that uh, Gale Force Nine, who has done a pretty good job? You look over the years, right, of taking um, different properties and doing board games on them. You know, all the way back for, to Firefly and Spartacus, and except Sons of Anarchy, that was a steaming turd of a game. No, never. Yeah, actually, I never got in. <laughs> that was one I never had actually played. Um, so good to know. Stay, steer away from that one. I think they do have, a, yeah, there are a few other maybe in there that are not as, as high. But again, like, again, Firefly has it has issues, but it, it, yeah. it's kind of um, definitely the production's there. And they, I think they do, you know, they do a good job of really representing, I think, those properties in, in the game, which is pretty cool. So they released Aliens, Another Glorious Day in the Corpse, for, based on the Aliens movie. And we're recording this on the 27th, and yesterday was 426 which is Aliens Day, if you really know. <laughs> I had to educate a lot of people at work yesterday about why 426 is Aliens Day, but but they're getting there. I'm, I'm, slowly I'll bring them along. Um, so. <laughs> the, the only thing that I have to add about space uh, is I finally saw that the Event Horizon writer of the film did say he was heavily influenced by Warhammer 40,000. Mm -hmm. Yep, yep. Yeah, that's uh, uh nice. I don't know, not a yeah, not he, not a there, and I think there's a few Easter eggs actually in the film too. Like you yeah. can pick a few things out. So yeah, that's uh, that's that's all I've got that's relevant to either <laughs> Invaders or Aliens. But I'm sorry, I, but I you should. That's your... another one. I, I you know I don't know. I haven't watched that movie in a while to know if it holds up. But um, it was a good movie at one point, uh, Event Horizon. Yeah. So that freaked me out a lot. Yeah, it's yeah, it's, it's, it's a frightening. It, yeah. frightening movie. It doesn't. We should uh we should have a watch along. We should j jump in Discord, start it at the same time, and yeah. uh and watch it sometime yeah. with popcorn and beer. 
Sounds good. I don't. I get scared. I'd have to pause it all the time when I get scared, though. I mean, you guys could. Oh. Yeah, we'd have to watch it like in the morning. Otherwise, <laughs> we'd have to go to sleep. Cool. All right, I'll loop us back. So, I was trying. I would. When this came out, I was a little bit like, "Do I?" You know, I was trying not to be completely on brand and like, "Do I really need another fighting aliens in space kind of corridor dungeon crawler game?" Um, and but because it was the alien actual true unlike you know I've been playing Space Hulk for thirty years which is an aliens ripoff Zombicide Invaders is really an aliens ripoff in some form I was like well this is the actual licensed aliens finally all right and I had a, I was actually in I will shout it again to the game store in Baraboo Wisconsin in the middle of nowhere touristy land um, and I wish I remember the name of the game store uh, but awesome they have an awesome game store if you're ever in downtown Baraboo when you're in the Dells. Um, uh, and, uh, the guy there was actually talking about it and it was really the miniatures, like actually the miniatures in this game, like the, that's what kind of got me to actually have a Ripley miniature, a Newt miniature, Hudson, all them. That was really, I'm like, even though I don't play the game, the fact that I have those miniatures, like what this will kind of roll into our main topic about just hoarding stuff. Right. Um, so I think that was what tipped me over the edge. About and then I had kind of watched a few videos on the gameplay and I'm like, ah, oh, this seems seems like it might be something I actually play once and you know at least once or twice to get their money out of it. So, um, so we did. I and then, but actually we were gonna play that the first night we were gonna do Zombicide Invaders. But what they don't tell you is, and I don't know why, like on the box, like their actual real minute, like you have to assemble, clip, and assemble the miniatures. I was assuming they'd be you know, kind of one pre done. Yeah, yeah. Right. You're like, they're not, you know, super, I mean, they are pretty detailed. They're nice miniatures. Um, but they don't say anything on the box. Like they don't, they kind of assume you have a certain, I don't know. I, it, I think it was a little, it's a little surprise to some people who would, you know, especially board game people. Um, I think when they open it up, they're like, hold it, what's this things in sprues and you have to, you know, um, and the, uh, the soldiers aren't too bad. They're like one or two pieces. Um, the aliens are a little bit of an annoying because you got del- they got you know arms and tails and things like that uh, to put together. But they're they're again for modeler people they're all pretty straightforward. They're not too bad at all. But there is an assembly. I don't know. Yeah, that is one thing missing on the box. Like you think they would give you a little heads up that you have to put stuff together. So, um, but it's really kind of mission based. You you do you play through the scenarios of that kind of represent the movie. And I, they do have um, a couple uh, expansions out to add more of the characters and to actually do like the end game scenes with the, the, the loader and the queen and things like that. Um, and it's, uh, we, we, John and I just played kind of the initial scenario to kind of get a feel for the rules. It's, there's a, there, there's a little bit going on. I mean, it, I would say it's, it seems a little uh, clunky in terms of not clunky. It's just maybe a little bit overly, uh, complex. So you, you like, you have a lot of stuff around the player boards with cards and, um, and different interactions and, and aiming things. So it, but it's not too bad. I mean, once you get a, a hold of it and, it and there's really, the mechanic is all about kind of exhausting and spending cards. Um, there is a dice component for when you're shooting and doing combat, but uh, what you're really trying to balance is um, you don't want to empty this deck. Cause that's kind of how you lose besides just getting eaten by all the aliens. But um, so that, that, there's kind of that mechanic in there. So I don't know the gameplay. Is it a, I, I think, is it a shared deck or a like? Yeah, shared deck. It's yeah, it's basically. Okay. Um, I mean, and it's a a, a total co-op. Um, like you, 
like you literally are playing like you against the game. Um, like you kind of have different turns, but in the scheme of things, it's really like there's not a whole lot of difference when you're playing one player versus whether or you have all six people, I think. Uh, that's a little bit, I mean, you have more, what, basically what they do is if you don't, you have the idea of having kind of player characters and then like each of the card, other players have more of a, what they call a grunt level. So it's kind of like less options. And so it's a little more streamlined what they can do. Um, if, if they don't have actually a person attached to them, if you're only playing with two people then two people would have kind of full, all their, all their options on two people. And then they would just kind of take turns controlling the other, the other characters on the board. So, um, so interesting again, I'm, I don't know that the gameplay mechanics are something that really, really calls out to me, but they see, they work and it, it does, they do a decent job of kind of creating the tension um, on some of that. I mean, nothing, I'm super excited. I do want to get a, another couple of plays and we just kind of got kind of that initial tutorial session to kind of get our, our feet underneath us for, for some of that. So, I mean, it's like Board Game Geek has it at like a 7.7 7 on, uh, on its scale, which I, it's, I feel like feels a little high. I don't know. Um, I don't know if it's that good, but um, but maybe again, a lot of that maybe just people excited about again the miniatures and the the genre and the brand and actually having an aliens game, and so um, so it, it seems pretty good. So yeah, I stuck my toe in that um, <laughs> and, and bought yet another um, another space alien battle game and, and some of that. So I, I'll probably have some. Like I said, we probably need to get a couple more plays on it, but. I'm just happy that I have the miniatures. So even if I don't kind of play the game a whole lot, um, I probably will paint up the miniatures and and have some real aliens and uh, the real crew from the Siloco. Nice. And then you went from gothic space horror to bike racing? Bike racing. See, I got you on the rivet. Um, yeah. I know you've talked about this one before. So I yep. just, so I find, I yeah, this was the Kickstarter, the local Milwaukee Kickstarter. And I took it with me up north uh, over, this is back in spring break, um, up north with my sister and brother-in-law who are avid bike bike racers and bike bikers um, to really get, I feel like they were the true test and to get, um, so we ended up, we ended up, we played that. Um, it is... It was interesting because I'd play I played Flamme Rouge, which is kind of the other bike racing game, and I, I don't know if there's any more. Like <laughs> those might be the two games now in the, in that whole genre of, of bike So uh, on the rivet is a little more like it, and that's what it, it's sold as, right? It's a little more meaty, a little more technical. You kind of you're playing, you're you still have your team, and the whole point is again to get your team across the line. All together because you score, you know, you basically have all whatever five or six of your riders, um, and it's whoever heads up ends up all those riders total who has the least amount of time ends up being the winner. Um, but you have again cards, and you're playing each of your riders and letting them do different moves to either draft and and pull. You know, you're either gonna kind of pull out and pull people behind you ahead, or you're gonna kind of help push people ahead and, 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 and maneuver and, uh, and basically try and figure, you know, how to get there. So, and so you do have a turn, the difference is like Flamme Rouge is all simultaneous movement. Um, right. You kind of all decide and then you get, let that kind of play out and everything kind of plays together. Whereas this game, it is kind of, you go player by player and, and each kind of each, each bike biker, you're going to move and do their actions kind of independently. 
Um, and so uh, it, it was fun. Uh, definitely. It was interesting on their opinion is they actually found, I think they, they found this one a little more fun, but actually thought that Flam Rouge gave you a better feel for an actual bike race. Like I think, and I think it's really comes down to that simultaneous movement that you, you know, you kind of pick what you're going to do and then you kind of, you know, then you see together, how do they all, all moves fit together? Where is this? Because you're kind of each taking turns with the bike, you can kind of react to what different, you know, people that go first are definitely going to have a different advantages or different advantages than bikers that you choose to go last. So there's still a lot of strategy there, but it was interesting uh, that their opinion, like they actually, uh, not, not that I think they pick one over the other, but they actually felt like Flam Rouge, which is a much simpler game, actually made it to them felt more realistic from the bike race kind of perspective. So it's interesting. Okay. We'll have to uh, we'll have to play that one and then um, Flam Flam Rouge and see who can be the uh, the Tour de Bod <laughs> winner. We just stage them. We'll do stages. Cool. But that right. so that's me. You got through all my my gaming. All right. Well, great show, guys. Talk to you <laughs> in episode fifty-two. Well, well, not all your gaming. Because mm. because it's time for the Dungeons and Dragons campaign recap. Brought to you by I think we're still waiting on official sponsorship. We need to re-sign that contract with, with Mephisto and get him uh get him back on on that deal. But uh for now we're playing Rhyme of the Frostmaiden. So I had a little bit of GM prep burnout with the onset of little league season. I have a little less free time with work and baseball and everything. So um, I left the guys hanging in the Sundering campaign before the final cataclysmic journey into the Demon Lord's palace. But it also worked out because Tom's availability hasn't been as great recently. Um, so taking a, a bit of a hiatus, probably get that back end of summer. But in the meantime, Rhyme of the Frostmaiden is is kicking. Uh, we play once a week. I think you guys are up to level five. And recently, we added two new players. So Josh and Paul came over from the other campaign, started playing in this one. So now we've got a big group, which usually, usually results in uh, one of the party members sleeping about halfway through, and then <laughs> Tom's there, maybe halfway. every third one. Uh, I'm giving him the first yeah. hour, you know. Um <laughs> What do, what do you guys, any any notes of recent successes, trials, and tribulations in the Rhyme of the Frostmaiden campaign? I'd say we successfully tarnished a child. I think that's that's a thing of note that we've done. We we gave a child a, a knife and told him to protect or kill anyone that came into our soup kitchen. Yeah. Uh, and, yeah, that's been, that's been fun. <laughs> I, I yeah, don't think we told happy him that he stabbed somebody. I don't think we told him to kill anybody. He inferred I think someone it. told him to kill someone. Oh, that might maybe. Yes. <laughs> I can't I can't speak for all the characters. Yeah. <laughs> he he might have inferred some of that too, but yeah. I mean, you guys have been called the heroes of Ten Towns, but you also are slots of baby yetis, destroyers of innocent goblins. There's a lot of very atro atrocities being committed by the by the group. 
Yeah, we have well, we have PR people to kind of clean that piece <laughs> part up. <laughs> well, I rolled a uh, a warlock genie subclass, uh, which is sort of fun. Uh, I, I get to be an arrogant butthole, which is you know pretty on brand for me. So I like it. <laughs> it's uh, it's working out well. And uh, one of the best parts about this character is the pseudo dragon who is my familiar, which Ty gets to play, which is so fun because, uh, yeah, uh, the voice and the the attitude coming from the GM uh, really shines through, and I love it. So it, it's great. Larkin, your uh, pseudo-dragon familiar, has a, a bit of a um, tough relationship with you. He's not always on your side. He does what you ask, but begrudgingly. And... Um, he he will often add uh you know a little bit of commentary to to what may be going on and it's it's like one of my favorite parts about this whole thing like obviously you know the adventure is great but larkin is uh really shines through so i appreciate it well larkin is based on partially um one of your former clients when you were bartending back in the day (laughs) i picked up on that (laughs) big john I still like the idea that um, that Larkin is the actual player character, and Josh just has to play this NPC warlock. Um, yeah, that's that's pretty much what's going on, and I, I really I'm, I'm enjoying it. Because <laughs> he is yeah. a genie, and he goes into the this necklace and whatever, and I, I'm like, what is that? See you guys. Uh, I think Larkin even too. called him his genie once. Mm-hmm. He sure did. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> But it's pretty good, good but, stuff. Yeah, I'm I'm really liking the the adventure too. I I mean I'm nostalgic. I mean we're in Icewind Dale, um, and it's just kind of cool to adventure in this place that has so much history. And I've read so many right read so many books and uh, in in this area. So uh, so it's really again just kind of that cool cool part of the of it is you're uncovering stuff that you're uncovering new stuff, but then you're kind of rediscovering things that. Um, that have been there for whatever 30 some years right so yeah there's there's a lot in the campaign that is i mean open and for you to discover and some of it is relevant some of it's not like there's a lot of destinations and you you won't get to all of them it feels like um but you kind of get to pick and choose and then you start to find some of those undercurrents that that you know pull you into the next part of the adventure I'd say of all of them that we've done so far, this feels the the least, I don't like this term, but the least railroaded of all the campaigns. Like every day we have, or every week we play, we have, you know, 10 different choices of ways we could go and none feels like the way we need to be going. It's like anything, we could do anything and it could get us to the next chapter or however you want to say it, but it's, it's not clear the path we need to be on. And I really like that it's kind of just up to us to to do whatever and we don't even really know what the what the end boss is or anything like that yet so it's it's pretty cool yeah it's um forces me to stretch a little bit cuz it's hard to prepare cuz like there's all these different spots you could go so running the modules nice cuz um you know i can just bounce around to where where i need to go but 
Um, yeah, so that's that's our Dungeons and Dragons campaign update, brought to you by open for sponsorship. Pre- please reach out to <laughs> intern at basementofdeath.com to line up any sponsorship for segments on the show. That'll never get old. All right. <laughs> Speaking of never getting old, guess who got some hobby done, boys? You? I did. Nice. No more failing. <laughs> I didn't get it done in March when we recorded kind of midway through the month, but in April, I painted four models. So Dan had given me that goal of painting four models a month on our 50th. I got three of those Necron spider-like guys. This, I think they're Scorpex. And I got one Necron warrior done in the paint scheme uh, that I'm, that I'm going to use for the army. So I figured it out. I got them done, had some fun with it. You won't be able to see it because we're an audio method, but did contrast over metallic. And then, you know, a friend of mine is really good at colors. So I would ask him, what should I do for this? What should I do for that? And um, he was like, well, you should try this. You should do that. And it worked out pretty well. Everything looks nice. It pops. Um, so I got the the four models painted. And then I bought $60 worth of paints and basing materials and p- weathering pigments and flock and whatnot from competition minis. Uh, and took Bryce's advice again, and I'm doing jungle bases for him. So Ooh. I watched uh, Vince's Hobby Cheating, How to Make Jungle Bases video. I looked at some of the photos that Bryce sent me, bought the stuff. So I'm going to do uh, jungle bases, nice lush green kind of mud wet to to make the bluish armor and all the, the chrome on them kind of pop. Um, so... Pretty excited, having fun with that, and uh, did a little bit, you know, literally a little bit here and there, and got the uh, the four models done. So, going to do the rest of the Warrior Squad, I think, next, because I'd like to get up to a small, you know, 25 power level uh, force for, like, a, a mini combat patrol. Sounds good. So, painted four models, hit my goal. Now I got to do the basing and then I'd like, I think I'm going to try to do nine models in, uh, in May. Ooh. Sticking it to Dan. Well, I figure if I then miss a month, I can be like, well, (laughs) I did, you know, if I did 12 (laughs) in three months, that's an average of four. There you go. (laughs) No, but I want to get nine. I want to get a 10, 10 man warrior squad done. So I'll just kind of batch paint those. Yeah. But yeah, I've also been doing a lot of hobby. I think since the last time we recorded, I've painted like 45 models, which for me is uh, almost unheard of. Uh, we we started a tale of four warlords um, with Mike, the famous man butcher, um, Andrew Simmons, and then um, up here in northern Wisconsin. And I'm doing Nurgle, so I I actually tried to force myself to paint in a faster manner and I used all glazes and contrast paints and it was a ton of fun. Um, I, I, it sounds conceited when I say this, but I always try to paint to like my absolute best and to just relax and paint 
good enough uh, was really, really a good feeling. And getting getting models, I painted 26 Nurgle models in like a week and a half. And uh, it was just great. It's one of those where I've had this container on my floor in my closet for years now of Nurgle's models that were painted and are primed, built and primed. And to get half of them painted in a week and a half was was great and just to see gray turn to color um, was a good feeling and it's been fun to play i mean we did 500 points the first month and then we actually canceled we were supposed to play last saturday um but i had my covid shot on friday and wasn't feeling good so i we canceled this time but we're doing a thousand points next time so it's just 250 a month and um it's just been fun and then i've been painting other random stuff here and there that just kind of sparks my interest trying to it's been rewarding not painting for something and just seeing oh i want to paint that spider today or this magma dragon looks like fun i'll paint that for a couple <laughs> of hours or it's it's been very random and very uh much not finishing tons of things but starting things and painting what what catches my eye that day and just having fun with it so it's been good stuff nice yeah it's, it was fun to see your uh your kind of progress you'd throw those up on discord and yeah. it was like oh bryce got another 10 guys done today <laughs> yeah. oh he did the nails on all the nerglings all right <laughs> so many horns and teeth, teeth <laughs> yeah. and crap on those nerglings there's like 30 of those little guys on each base <laughs> well always retweet a nergling yeah <laughs> josh troy any any hobby uh on the painting front or I didn't. Oh, I shouldn't say that. Um, so I, I talked about a little bit. I assembled all the aliens, uh, aliens miniatures. That was kind of my first time I had done some kind of clip and glue hobby in quite a while. And then I did over spring break. Um, I ended up not. I ended up painting with uh, my daughter. Um, two more of two, three more. I don't know. We had a. It was like every day we were doing. It was My Little Pony. Um, <laughs> the little ponies. Uh, that I said, we I'd break out the airbrush and uh, and get the base on them, and then uh, Rainbow Dash was the pain in the ass one out of them because she has so many, <laughs> as the always, name as the name would did. suggest, I had to like paint her tail and a rainbow and her mane. Um, the other ones are other ones are pretty straightforward. So on some of that, did and, you remember the the infamous Roji Biv? Uh, yes, I had to, well, and I have to have I had to have Sarah like. I had her pick colors like Sarah, what colors are we painting the ponies? You got to help me. Like what color is Pinkie pie and what, you know, um, is this really <laughs> pink? You're like, is this the pink we need? Like not the pink that I see versus what yep. it really should be. So, yeah. So she definitely was helping me with, I did a lot of the painting and then, although she did, the, um, she did some good decal work cause there were like stickers for some of the eyes and, and I was too slow. I had done some of the other ones and then one of the last ones, uh, she just went and did it, and I was, and I'm like, wow, that actually turned out really pretty good. So I think she's she's got a future <laughs> in decal work, uh, in the future. And then uh, my wife, I did also paint a garden gnome or repainted a garden gnome. <laughs> uh, I don't know where my wife brought in an old garden gnome that had seen better days, and um, I probably did a much better job than he really needed to be painted, but. <laughs> It was fun to work in that scale, you, you know, it was a little, little bigger scale than I usually work, but, uh, um, to go, broke out the craft paints. I did not use my Citadel paints on the gnome, but, uh, 
So, so I did get a whole bunch of painting done. That was over my spring break because I did take. I was off for work for a week when my, over my when my daughter was off spring break. So, I, I did Boy. do it. I just never. But the thing is, I would do all that stuff, and I just then didn't feel like then going and working at any, <laughs> any of my painting after I had spent a couple hours every day oh, doing something else. But I forgot uh, talking about painting. So it was the other weekend, either last week or the week before. Landon and I had run some errands. Went you know, stopped at, um, games workshop. I needed a few things. We get home, we open some Pokemon cards that he had. And then he's like, um, you know, we have, can we paint? And I had those DIY Funko pop intercessor Marines that had been sitting in the garage for months. Cause I was like, Oh, I'll prime these someday and bring them in. So we primed them and then, uh, started painting and he wants to do an ultramarine against, um, yes. my better judgment. Uh, but he's doing one of the ultramarines with a red helmet. I think are those the sergeants? assault marines, or or you can do a sergeant kind of with or the... sergeants maybe, yeah, or a lieutenant. Yeah, I don't lieutenant, know. Lieutenant, yep. So he's doing a, a red, and we use scale seventy five paints, <laughs> which was probably a mistake uh, as I sit here <laughs> thinking about it because it's uh, added a little water and it was a little watered down. So he's getting frustrated. Um, but he learned the valuable lesson of thin coats. He probably did three uh, very thin uh, coats to get the red a, a pretty pretty good color. And he kept it all on the helmet. You know, he didn't do he didn't get it on the the rest of it. And I started doing kind of a blue steel. I'm going to do a gray knight. So I'm working up from like a real bluish tint. I mixed in Cantor blue with one of the Vallejo metal colors um, to get a nice. I don't know if you guys can see this, but. Um, kind of blue metallic going on Sweet. and then i'll highlight from there so we started painting our our intercessor uh funko pops the other weekend and we'll finish finish that up here you know and over a couple of painting sessions next on on his marine we'll do the blue base and then pick out the you know the metal um then do some washes and try to bring out some shading that way but having some fun with these uh they're pretty cool these diy funko pops mm -hmm. i don't even know if you can find them any more places or if if they're not available but well worth it if you're looking for a little you know distraction from the general yeah. painting well i didn't get any actual painting in uh but i did take i, I think it was bryce's advice uh and bought a compressor finally for an airbrush I bought the the cheapo compressor on Amazon or whatever the little kit. So uh, that came recently. So maybe this weekend I'll I'll uh, bust out a I don't know something or other and prime it or just give it a whirl and see see how that goes. Airbrushing super fun. I'm excited to try it. Thin your paint. Thinner yeah. First. Yep. Thin, thin your paints. All right. Twice as thin as you think. Okay. Because <laughs> that's where it gets not fun, is if you keep clogging yeah, it, yeah. then, you, then you hate it, and you'll put it away for a year and a half and never touch it. Okay. So thin it put out. thinner in first and make it thinner than you think it needs to be, and you'll love every minute of it. Awesome. You know, I have a, an old Imp Guard tank, like a Lehman Russ. I, I I don't know why I have it. Um, I I might uh, 
just try it on that, right? There some, you go. Some big, big, uh, big surface area that I could play around with. But yeah, that that's my only good deal painting related thing. Well, um, I think this fits into the hobby category. Uh, since you guys always talk about 3D printing, I, I decided to get in on the technology game. And I've been using my new gaming computer uh, that I got a couple months ago. It's got the one of the Radeon uh, 30, 3070 um, graphics cards in it. So a buddy of mine sent me a YouTube video on how to mine Ethereum, uh, one of the cryptocurrencies. I think it's number two on the exchange behind Bitcoin. Um, so I set up a, uh, a mining utility and I set up a uh, cryptocurrency wallet and the server I log into and I mine whenever I leave my computer running during the workday or overnight when I'm sleeping, whenever I'm not using it pretty much. Um, and I started mining Ethereum and then I transferred it into my Coinbase and I got some some cryptocurrency that I'm, I'm building up probably you know grand scheme of things i'll make maybe 150 bucks a month uh in the account but for a you know 20 minutes of time and just starting a program and letting it run it's been kind of cool as i read up on different cryptocurrencies and exchanges and you know the volatility of the market um so i'm by no means an expert <laughs> but uh just having some fun kind of you know, playing around in that space um, with a computer that, you know, uh, really was just to play games and, you know, do video chats and other stuff. So it's, uh, it's pretty cool to be able to use it in the downtime. And it's, it's not, it's not running too hot. It's, you know, I've downloaded like a monitor to watch the, the temp and to mess with like the, the ability to overclock it a little, um, and I'm not drawing much extra power than just having the computer on. It barely draws any extra. It's pretty. It's pretty wild when you see what these can do. Um, but Josh, <laughs> I know you then went and, uh, you know, stockpiled quite a bit to to make your own um, yeah. <laughs> super super machine to dwarf my output. Uh, unbeknownst to me, uh, Ty and I were doing this uh, adventure like at the same time, and we didn't even talk about it at all. Um, but yeah, I was, uh, putting parts together to, to try to do the same thing. Um, but yeah, I have kind of a standalone rig to do it so that I'm not, uh, I don't, I don't really have a desktop per se right now. So, um, yeah, I'm, I'm doing roughly the same thing and, uh, just with a few more graphics cards. So yeah, it's fun. Uh, I've been in the crypto game for a while, so uh, I, I knew I wanted to mine Ethereum because that's that's the, the totally the way to go right now. But um, yeah, eventually here we'll have to switch to something else. But yeah, it's it's good. I like it. Cool. How about uh, 3D printing? The the usual monthly trip down 3D printing rabbit hole. <laughs> so. <laughs> uh, We've been, uh, Ty and I have been talking about uh, print, uh, 3D printing a, um, a HeroQuest board. And so I, I've been struggling. It's like almost the whole plant, like it's 
close close to the edges, and I've been having problems on the edges uh, where it starts to curl. So uh, that's not good for a board game, right? You don't want curly edges. So uh, I, flat. yeah, it's it's got to be flat. So I started looking into it more uh, to try to fix my problem. And the only thing I've come up with that it could be is just the general um, air temperature. So I, I'm building an enclosure and it's actually almost finished. I just have to throw the 3D printer in there and pull the, the uh, power supply off of the 3D printer and kind of mount it outside because if it gets too hot, it can kind of um, affect it. So once I do that and mount it in the enclosure, we're going to give it a whirl and hopefully in, in uh, I don't know, uh, a while, <laughs> we'll have a HeroQuest board. But yeah, we'll keep you guys updated. Uh, <laughs> If, if that goes well. <laughs> yeah, what is it, like 70 different prints? It's crazy. Uh, it, I mean, it looks awesome, but yeah, it's it's so many different walls and so many different... It's like 36 different, um, like, tiles, and then, uh, I don't know, a couple hundred different walls. I think it was like 200 different walls. I mean, you can batch the walls into like 10 or 20 a piece, but yeah, it's, it's, a, it's a chunk of time. So I, I didn't want it curling with all that time invested. I don't want, you know, janky edges and stuff. Yep. So, yeah. Good deal. And for anyone listening, you're probably wondering, well, wait, don't they usually talk about hobby goals and accountability and charitable donations? And yes, yes, we do. And I think the intent is to get back to that probably with the next episode. But I fully admit, I did not pay attention to any goals and I did not prepare appropriately, but I do see that somebody put a hobby slash gaming accountability topic here. So who, who's, who's is this and what's this all about? As I grovel for our listeners about <laughs> my inability to track our, our debts and, uh, and goals. Yeah. Cause we're on, we're kind of in reset replan mode on our, our hobby accountability. So I did throw in gaming accountability just, for us. And we have been talking about as we all kind of have made our way through the vaccination steps and, and figure out how we're going to get together and do hopefully do some kind of a game night, uh, in the next few weeks here. Um, so that's what I kind of throw out for us is we will figure out how to do, uh, some kind of probably in-person game night, uh, actually break out like ties. Like I just want to play any board game at all, anything, <laughs> Even Love Letter. I'll even play Love... No, he never That's said that. Nice. That's not a board game. He never nice. said Love Letter. He didn't do that. That's not a board game. <laughs> you guys are believing me until I went to, I went too far so, on that. So this, this is a good segue, though. Um, there's been a lot of discussion on social media and different places about the term uh, gateway games and like how, you know, kind of a negative connotation of those, that like a serious gamer won't play this game because it's a gateway game. It made me do some some significant thinking about my use of that term and how I, I think about it. And and I think, you know, this is a larger topic probably for the next time, but I'm I'm no longer going to disparage games um like Love Letter by calling them gateway games. I'm just gonna be honest, when I think a game is bad, and that's my opinion, like Love Letter, I'm gonna say that's just a bad game. I'm not gonna demean it for being, you know, accessible. Uh, or perhaps less complex, 
So I'm, I'm going to make a conscious effort to do that, but I'm going to call a spade a spade and love letters is, is crap. That game's terrible. <laughs> I, I will. I'll, I don't know where I'm, I don't know what my position is here. Um, I, I'm going to leave love letter out of it and just say, I think there was an interesting discussion there on that gateway game yeah. term, because yeah. actually I don't think of it as disparaging at all. I, I, I actually I th- I don't. Yeah. I hadn't, yeah. but when I read how some people take that, it was, yeah. I've never thought about it right. from that, that side of the coin. Right. Yeah, I, I could see it. I could see where some people definitely could, could view it that way. I really see it as like, Hey, this is a game that I, as a, you know, hardcore gamer really enjoy. And it also other people who aren't as hardcore gamers can also enjoy it and play it with me. And we all can, right. I really see uh-huh. it as kind of a, a, like there, there are, you know, to get a game in that thing, I think is actually hard, <laughs> right. To make good games that are kind of in that space. So, um, so I never think of it as a negative, but yeah, maybe we could have a, a whole discussion and actually yeah. look at some examples. Yeah. Cause, cause there, I, I think there are, right. There are things that are in that accessibility that I don't have as much fun playing, but I play them because yeah, this is something I can play with the family or something else like that. Mm-hmm. But, but there are those set of games that, that I'd love to play, but they are, but everybody likes to play, but they are more family and so forth. But we'll uh, we'll go down that rabbit hole yep. later. Um, for now, though, speaking of rabbit holes, Kickstarter uh, <laughs> that is a dangerous place uh, to be these days. Yep, uh, I got sucked in by I don't know why, but I bought uh, I bought in on the Robinson Crusoe reboot from Portal. Um, and uh, it, I don't know. It looks pretty good. It, I'm worried this will be one I I get and then I flip it. But who knows? But maybe I'll be excited and I'll play it. Um, I've heard always heard good things about Robin Crusoe. I think Ty, you owned it or still own it. I don't know if it's still buried somewhere at some I, point. You own I it. I own first edition. It's actually on the next uh, stack that we'll talk a little bit about opportunity mm-hmm. shelf maybe for some things, but. It, it has made its way into a, a bin that'll probably end up on a sell list at Noble Knight. Um, cool. Well, you after. could you could pull it off and just buy the. I think they're doing some kind of an upgrade pack. Oh well, I'll I'll take a look. So you might have to figure that out. Yeah. Um, but it looks. I mean, it's they're they're going all out on this version, so it could be it should be pretty interesting. Um, and some in that. So uh, the other thing that this one was a Kickstarter is this uh real interesting and this was i actually had a coworker who tipped me off on it unfortunately is this thing called pixel and it's really e-dice so it's actual physical dice but they are like bluetooth enabled so that you can hook them up to like your phone or um, roll 20 or other stuff and actually have the roll actually show up into you know, different games or, and so forth. Um, it's there, it, it's an interesting, uh, just engineering feat. Um, and so I, I wanted, this is one where I try like, Hey, I'll, I'm gonna throw these guys money to be successful and see, see what they make out of this. Cause I could just, I think we all could have a bunch of different ideas. Like, Ooh, it'd be really cool to have dice that can tell you what number they've rolled. Right. So, um, so that's, uh, pixel the, they are not at all affordable. Is the <laughs> yeah, is the I part of it? <laughs> I was sort of like not sure. So yeah, I, I just kind of like w- w- this sounds like fun, and I just pretend like yeah, it's 
Um, the money, maybe money I, maybe, maybe I, yeah, well, maybe I used uh, stimulus money or whatever that was, right? There it's you like go. not real, not real money. Um, that so, so that's me. Uh, I do see stuff here for Zombicide Second Edition. I have my box sitting right yeah. over there, but it's not all I got was I just bought the RPG. I didn't actually buy backing on the game. Oh man, I got the full cool simon box showed up and i was i was very excited it's got <laughs> was it like a edition. refrigerator is it like a refrigerator box that's yeah like, it was yeah. it was very big landon saw it and he's like yeah. this box is bigger than me and i was like yeah it is pretty much <laughs> so it had uh the second edition game it had the horde box all the survivor and zombie extras from the kickstarter fort hendrix like the military mm-hmm. base and then the washington dc which one side is like military base and tanks and stuff and the flip side of those tiles is the White House and the Oval Office. And then I added in the presidential box. So it's got like Clinton, Bush, Reagan, Lincoln, Obama, and Trump. So it's like it caused them like 42, 45, you know, 16. It doesn't call yeah, them by yeah. name, I'm sure, from a licensing standpoint. Um, but it's the six president miniatures and they all have a, a red uh, like panic switch ability or, you know, the... Push the new- push the red button, of course. Yeah. Um, and then the RPG. So I got the GM box, the rule book, and the scenario book. Um, the RPG is uh, interesting. Um, probably talk about it in depth more after a read. Uh, but it 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 definitely takes the um, takes the uh the zombie side feel and puts it into an rpg so it's it's not very like in-depth or crunchy mm-hmm. it feels like it it plays fast and easy um and in in that zombie side style so i don't know how much of it's role-playing or how much of it's just um using miniatures and playing zombie yeah. side without <laughs> action points I, yeah. I don't know i haven't figured it out yet but there's yeah. like an equipping phase where you you talk about what you get before you go and the the platforms are drawn or the uh, the maps for the scenarios are drawn very much like the board and yeah. with goals and like what you're trying to do um so it's it's interesting um it's a little light the character creation is is not very in depth but um <laughs> It's, it's pretty cool. Yeah, I'll have to check. Again, I didn't. I did terrible prep, and it's literally not. I didn't even open the box. I just like, oh, I know what this is, and I haven't even cracked it open yet. But that was what got me into that. I was just, I was more curious. Like, I want to see how they turn Zombicide into an RPG, um, and see what they yeah. do. So, I'm again, it's like one of the million other RPGs that I I buy and read and then never play. <laughs> but this, who knows, right? Maybe we do get this to the table in some form, but. Um, your new podcast right yeah between the, the sheets. sheets yep yeah speaking of between the sheets i forgot this in playing i did play an rpg uh so eric clapsaddle a uh, friend of the show and friend of all of us um had messaged me about playing cyberpunk red the cyberpunk uh role-playing game from our talsorian games um so myself and another uh, friend of his who i had not met before but evidently a coworker of Josh's um, played uh, just a two-person scenario. It's pretty short, pretty brief, but, you know, kind of use pre-made characters, give them a little mini backstory, and then uh, dove in defending our apartment block from like a hostile corpo uh, takeover, which is pretty fun. Um, interesting game set, but 
uh, that that can be for another between the sheets mm-hmm. episode. <laughs> um, and then so Misty Mountain Games uh, in Madison um, did put a link up, I think today on Facebook. Uh, so that's Brian Cole owns Misty Mountain, cool little shop in the the Madison uh, area, kind of east east side of town. Um, and it is a renegade game studios game on Kickstarter called my father's work. Um, it is a, it's pretty interesting. It, it is an app driven branching narrative, uh, board game. So just the, the synopsis on it is in my father's work, two to four players are competing mad scientists entrusted with a page from their father's journal along with a large estate in which to perform their devious experiments. Players earn points by completing experiments, aiding the town in its endeavors, upgrading their macabre estate, and hopefully completing their father's work in this app-driven branching narrative game. Now, what? why I put this on here, because you're like, Ty, it's just another Kickstarter. Each scenario features with this app-driven content 60,000 plus words so when you think about the amount of text for that narrative and story that's that's significant um 350 plus story events in each of those scenarios and this is what blew me away i don't know how they did it uh over 13 trillion possible story variations wow so i think app driven games are pretty cool and I think there's a lot of space there with that board game and app crossover. So this one kind of stood out to me in that combination. Just like, I don't know how they achieved that. I want to learn more about it. I don't know if I'll back it yet, but definitely worth kind of looking into. Because um, that is that is one heck of a procedurally generated uh, way to to alter a scenario. Yeah, and just some, well, this significant writing. Just think, all, I mean... That's yeah. not insignificant amount of actual writing. And then, but then to take that writing and yeah, organize it in a way that you can make it branching and hopefully make sense in the narrative. That might be the trick, right? Um, yeah. That's going to yeah. be pretty cool. It kind of sounds like time stories ish or like a detective ish. Like it, it's, yeah, but almost like Plaid Hat did like an, I think, Abomination or something like that where you built like, frankenstein monsters yeah and that was supposed to be really good it it feels more of that element with how you're finishing these experiments and building up your estate sure yeah yeah um with with those like kind of narrative and the only company i've seen do it a lot is plaid hat so it's interesting that renegade is uh getting into that that mix now renegade also had you know year or two ago kind of merged with hunter entertainment which i think is is cool when you think about narrative and content creation um but renegade game studios check it out kickstarter my father's work so troy who has a charismatic voice and what is tailspire this is so here's our, our rabbit hole um and I'll try and keep it brief because maybe this is, I just want to, I thought it was interesting. So uh, again, one of the many things as we've been in this strange world the last year, um, I spent a lot of time diving back into, into music and listening to a lot of different music and, and, uh, and especially more and way kind of my heavier side, kind of revisiting a lot of that. Um, 
and along the way, and I spent a lot of time on YouTube watching stuff, uh, and I discovered uh, this woman, uh, Elizabeth Zaroff, um, who is, she is the charismatic voice, uh, not you, Ty, but maybe that uh, could be, you could be number two or something else like that. Um, and uh, it, again, just rabbit hole of, of scenarios to, that I got, again, YouTube recommended or, or around some of that. And she is... Uh, uh, was the I guess she's I don't know if she is she's not a performing opera singer but in her previous life she was uh, a very famous you know kind of worldwide touring opera singer and now she's a, a vocal coach and um and where I stumbled on it right she does what she'll do is she'll do reaction kind of videos and talk about voices and singing for different stuff and 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 that um and so very interesting and then what's it, where I crossed in is she. It, it's kind of funny, like her channel now has kind of become opera singer discovers heavy metal music because um, she will do, she does a lot of really interesting, uh, you know, reaction videos as she different sees a lot of different like metal artists and things like that, like Unleash the Archers and um, and Nightwish and things like that. And so that's what kind of got me to uh, to see her. And then as you find out more about her, like she also plays D&D. <laughs> and you're like what like uh and it was funny and so they actually have on twitch like one of her things is they do have an all bard which would make sense because she's a singer and right so their whole party is bards um and so every week or so they actually stream uh their D game and, and she's pretty funny like she usually will cosplay in some form on the on the thing but uh, it was funny because i think at one point we thought like we'll have a whole artificer group well they did the the whole bard thing around that. Um, and then as I'm watching that, again, this is the rabbit hole, so I apologize for that. As I'm watching their stream, they have this, they were using this, um, instead of uh, like Roll20 where we have the flat board, they, ha they have this thing called Tailspire, which I guess is was a Kickstarter and fairly new. Um, it's more of, it's like a 3D, um, 3D visualization engine, engine that, you, that you can use to kind of, instead of doing the flat maps, you can actually you know, construct, uh, you know, the scenario and like, just like Ty, you would build your maps for, for roll 20 in Tailspire, yeah. you could build, but it's more of like, uh, you know, the, the, the 3d view and they actually have a bunch of, you know, different resources and something like that I haven't done a whole lot of, uh, research on it, but I think it's on, available on steam now. It's like 25 bucks. Um, now you do have, I think everybody in the game has to have, uh, I think there's two different ways to do it. I think the way they were doing it, like they were just having one person, I think actually had the the tailspire and they were just building scenario and they were moving everybody. If you wanted to have each person actually control their own character in there, I think you each have to own a copy of the the game or that the the tailspire to to do it and so forth. So I just like it, it was just looked interesting. Um, so that was my <laughs> sorry my very rabbit hole of of different uh, things that you all brush up against. That uh, um, so uh, uh, I thought again the. Tailspire might be something that people want to check out if they're doing a lot of online kind of gaming as a, as an option to kind of a, a roll twenty or something else like that. And I think it's it's more a very generic um, system. It's not like it's D and D based or anything else like that. And they, but they do have different the aspects of where you can do like a, an initiative track and different things like that, to, depending how far down that that rabbit hole you want to go. So so again, I haven't spent a whole lot on it. Just wanted to make people aware, like maybe something to kind of check out. And at twenty five bucks, that doesn't seem like a um, you know, a whole lot of investment maybe to play with it. So, and if you like vocal and music stuff or, or just fun, all barred stream, if you need yet another D and D game to watch on, yeah. on Twitch, you can check out, uh, Elizabeth and her crew. Cool. 
And that's uh, twitch.tv slash the charismatic voice. All right. I'm going to try to watch at least a little bit. Um, so other kind of stuff before we get into a real quick run through the library, uh, some acquisition that I missed. So when I was uh, buying, I, I bought Marvel United, which... I almost talked about in Kickstarter, but I, I waited because it had been a, a pretty well-received Kickstarter by Simon, and they just put up the X-Men um, one on Kickstarter, I believe, or it recently closed, but I, I think it's current. Uh, so Eric Lang and a few others uh, created this game. It's kind of players versus the big bad. Um, so it's one to four, I think, or one to five players. Um, and in, uh, you know, it's like the first one United is Avengers versus like, uh, I think Thanos Ultron and one other bad guy, but you play cards to represent your, your turn and your actions. And then your cards can combo with the cards, uh, of other players for super team, you know, big time effects. Um, and you're kind of moving around the board trying to to vanquish the enemy. So it looks really cool, uh, pretty straightforward. And I, I had read just a ton of really positive uh, feedback on on Twitter and Board Game Geek, board game geek and other, other places. So I, I picked it up and haven't even opened it up yet, but uh looks pretty cool. The minis are, are kind of that, um, I guess you would call them chibi, or, mm. you know, they, they look like the old 16-bit kind of, style um model um but they look really cool i've seen some of them painted in really cool ways so maybe someday i'll I'll get there but that looks pretty awesome and then um i also picked up some more crisis protocol minis in hopes that bryce someday you and i can play another game i got black panther and killmonger wolverine and Sabretooth, and then the punisher and taskmaster to add to my collection there um nice. I don't know. Have you bought any more Crisis Protocol stuff, Bryce, or, or not really? I haven't bought any more, mostly just because we haven't had a chance to play. <laughs> well, soon. Yep. Soon. Speaking and then I... of the other the uh, United game, though, I saw, this is crazy, I saw someone who fully backed the Kickstarter, which was something like 100 and some miniatures. Yeah, it yeah it's a ton. And he painted them in one week, every single one of them, and they were all like pretty darn well painted it oh, was wow. incredible so that, i just saw that on twitter and it was one of those things where you think yeah. no one ever does it but this guy did it so that's crazy awesome. <laughs> that's crazy yeah it looks super fun I'm, I'm pretty excited to to give it a shot um maybe at that uh board game night that we're talking about and then i also got my copy of stargrave so the Frostgrave uh, in Space um, game from Osprey, uh, Joseph McCullough. I think he was one of the, uh, the yeah, he was the creator of Frostgrave. Yeah. Um, so just cracked that open today, took a look at it. I'm pretty excited to uh, to see what that's all about and, and maybe find a way that we can do that sometime in addition to the thousand other skirmish games <laughs> that we have accumulated. <laughs> mm -hmm. We need a skirmish day. We need skirmish yep. Saturday, or we just play like Warcry, Stargrave, Frostgrave, 
Frostgrave, Saga. Yep. Ethereum. But yeah. So yeah, that is kind of my my update in the other items of geekery. And then I did see a cool headline I wanted to tell you guys about as we head into the what we're reading and watching and listening to. And that is um, the World of Darkness franchise got uh, picked up for film and TV. So I'm going to read some names and you're going to be like, Ty, I don't know who these people are. Um, so Eric Heiser, Christine Boylan, um, and then Hivemind and Paradox Inter Interactive. So Hivemind and, uh, is the um, kind of production company behind The Witcher. Uh, mm -hmm. So the writer-producer, Christine Boylan, is attached to that. And then Eric Heiser uh, was nominated for an Oscar. He wrote um, Arrival, uh, the, the film, I think a couple years yep. ago. Um, so they're connected to this. And that world of darkness, that's like Vampire the Masquerade, Werewolf, the Apocalypse, Mage, Hunter, the Reckoning, all that stuff, the, the whole IP um, picked up by this production company. No, no like details about what they're developing, but it, it was a film and TV um, deal. And what they focused on in the article is the world of darkness universe is deliberately and unapologetically inclusive and diverse. Uh, always made a point of including equal gendered characters, protagonists, and antagonists of every race, representation of all creeds, bringing a female and diverse audience to gaming like nothing prior. Um, so, you know, with Christine Boylan attached, it was her comments about that. Um, and just kind of the stories that come from this world. So I know as as a player in the world of darkness, I'm pretty excited. Who knows when it'll, you know, come yeah. along. Um, but Heiser is also the EP and showrunner of the Shadow and Bone uh, series that I, I think Josh has on his his list of what he's watching. So just some cool news out of out of Hollywood that I wanted to to drop in on the the show notes today. It could be cool, right? It's uh, a lot of these could things. Be. Yeah, right. Never a lot of these happens. things happen, and they never, right? They never, yeah, yeah. for reasons that they don't materialize. But it sounds like, yeah, it sounds like some good people there, and then you just kind of cross your fingers and hope that the stars align and um, exactly and, that it sees a pilot, it yeah. sees fruition. Yeah, cool. So, what are we? Uh, what are we watching? Listening to? Reading? Oh. I'll uh, leave that to the group for anyone to jump in. So I well, go ahead, Josh. I was just going to say, I, I just finished uh, our, our book of the month uh, legend by David Gemmel. Uh, super, super good. I liked it. And... Um, it that what, what really hammered at home was reading the epilogue or uh yeah the epilogue at the end um i i don't i don't want to spoil it it, it was just really <laughs> it, it, it tied into his life yep uh, i'll just say that and that kind of uh really i, I don't know it, hit, it struck a nerve for me so um yeah it, definitely read read the the end uh yeah it, it's worth it yeah I, I really liked it. I thought it was a good book. Yeah, it was. Uh, it's good. I and I that reminds me. I need to throw it our book club discussion. I think we'd promised next week, so I need to throw some stuff out there and see if we can get uh, 
the majority of the group together next week sometime to go a little bit in depth of what we all thought of uh, of Legend by uh, how, David Gimmel. How cool is uh, Dross? Yeah, <laughs> so cool. Like, I, like, all the characters are just, like, so... Uh, I, I don't know. It, they just seem very rich, and yeah, Druss is just so such a a bad man. Like he, an old bad man. He yeah, reminds yeah. he reminds oh, me wow. of like the and and Troy. I know you've read Abercrombie stuff, yeah. but it's like Logan Nine Fingers yeah. was cut from Druss's cloth. Like there had to be inspiration there. Yep. Yeah, it, it was interesting. Again, Abercrombie. Yeah, and, well, if you look Gamble, at yeah, know. yeah, because if you look again, it's part of the. I mean, this book was written in 1984, right? So it, yeah, it is. It is probably an inspiration and influencer on a lot of the you know more modern fantasy uh, novels that are that are out there. Uh, and so interesting. Yeah, I think it was a good read. Very good. I think there's you know I'm I'm in the like 90 95 percent awesome. There are a couple things that. Um, that I, I, I think looking back, I think some of it is a little bit of the the time, but I, I will save it for our dated. book club. Yeah, yeah. I will save mm-hmm. it for our book club discussion. Mm-hmm. <laughs> All right. Uh, so, Legend, I'm sure has been has been listened to or read by I think by each of us. I did not go back and reread it because I read it just a couple months ago. Um, but I've been I've been listening to. What I'm going to say is one of my favorite books of the last year or two, and I seem to say that every few books, but I started reading uh, Invisible Life of Addie LaRue uh, by V.E. Schwab, mm-hmm. Victoria Schwab. She's written some other stuff that um, you know is, is kind of like urban fantasy and along that vein, but this, uh, this book follows Adeline LaRue, who's a girl in France in the like 1700s um and she's in her early 20s and she's about to get married and she goes runs away into the woods and prays to the the gods that come after dark and she's been warned not to do that and somebody answers her and makes her a deal where she sells her soul this isn't a spoiler at all it it happens but then it follows her over the course of her life which is at this point in time when it's being told the story is like 300 years and it bounces all around to when she leaves her village to where she finds herself in the French Revolution, World War One, like New Orleans, uh, New York, like all over the world. Um, but her curse is that no one will remember her. Uh, she can't leave any mark on the world, so she can't write anything down. The words erase themselves. She can't be hurt. Um, so she's immortal, but she sold her soul to, to live life, to live her own life. But she can't rem- be remembered by anyone. Um, so it's a really interesting uh, curse where, you know, she'll go into a store, pick something up and leave with it because the moment that door closes, the clerk forgets that she was ever there. And it, you know, it, it plays with that idea of what it's like to live forever, but to be forgotten by everyone. Um, and it's just phenomenal. Like I've, I absolutely have been loving every, you know, every minute of it. Um, I'm listening on audible, but I also got it, um, so I can read it sometimes. And I've really been enjoying that one. Um, I think I read that it also got picked up like shortly after it released, it got picked up for a film adaptation. Um, and it's just, it's, it's my, it's become my recommended to everyone uh, book. And so go out and read 
The Invisible Life of Addie LaRue by V.E. Schwab. Sounds cool. Yeah, I feel like it's on one of my wish lists. Thing like I had heard uh, from some, yeah, some other recommendation than that one. So it's good to hear. Yeah, I mean, it's it's just I'm blown away. Like I, I really, I I knew it would be good, but I didn't know it'd be this good, and that I would feel for this character that much and like her situation and um, and then cool stuff happens that I won't get into that makes it even <laughs> more interesting than just her inability to be remembered. Um. I picked up uh, Invincible Volume One, so Amazon Prime released the the cartoon, which is pretty adult themed, uh, a graphic novel about a teenager superhero whose father was from another planet and like a defender of Earth, so total like Superman type thing. But now he's a teenager who's just come into his powers, um, and. Uh, Volume one was pretty good and it's um, Kirkman, Robert Kirkman yep. wrote it about six years ago. So the creator of walking dead. And now I picked up the volume one when I saw Amazon had uh, started doing the show. So I'm, I'm definitely going to get the next few volumes of that graphic novel, the trade paperbacks. Um, I don't know. Have, have any of you read that or seen the show on prime? Uh, no, I just, uh, it, I just saw that it had come out. And again, the same thing. There was a really good, um, Kevin Smith had uh, Kirkman on his, his podcast um, a couple of weeks oh, cool. ago. And, I, and I've been watching a lot of Kevin Smith. And so that's where I kind of heard about it. And again, if you, Kirkman is awesome to listen to too. So I would, I would recommend it too. If you're in, into that, he talks about the the series and, and some of the history on that stuff um, on that show too. So yeah, I think I'm, I'm interested. It's on my list to kind of check out. I've been watching Shadow and Bone. I think you touched on it already, Ty, but uh, yeah, by uh, so it's on Netflix. Uh, just came out not too long ago. Um, by uh, based on the a, a book of the same name by Leo uh, Bardugo, and I think it's a trilogy actually. So um, it, yeah, it's like six books. Um, yeah. Oh, okay. Series. Yeah. Yeah. Um, yeah, like I, I could see this. Uh, <laughs> it, it's got legs. Uh, I'm, I'm, I'm halfway in. I think. Uh, I think there's eight episodes, and I'm yeah. I think I'm on four or five. It's pretty good. Uh, I, I give it a two thumbs up for me. So uh, yeah, if you're looking for a new series on Netflix, Shadow and Bones, I'm, I'm, I'm digging it. That's yeah. So I, I have a group text with my brother and my dad, and. So Nicole and I want to watch Shadow and Bone and we've kind of, when we get time, we'll watch that when we're done with the show we're watching now. But my dad said, just started a new series on Netflix, Shadow and Bone. It's fantasy. I think this would be right up your guy's alley, currently ranked number one in my, in my list. <laughs> and my brother said, I started it the other night. I'm excited to watch more. My dad said he was trying not to binge it. Um, two hours after that text message, my dad sent a text to us saying binge rationing isn't working. I'm now finishing episode <laughs> four tonight. <laughs> so <laughs> evidently yeah, yeah. It, it is an enjoyable show. Um, it's, and it, it's hard not to just crush them all because yeah. It, it's, yeah, it, it sucks you in. Uh, I mean, there's you're definitely magic elements and there's, um, you know, warring nations elements and it, it's really good. I'm, I'm enjoying it. Um, I, uh, I also 
I want to ask you guys if you've ever done this. I don't know if you have. Have you ever gotten rid of a book because you you didn't finish it? You either for some reason stopped or weren't liking it, and you got rid of it either half price books or rummage sale or threw it out, whatever. And then you ended up rebuying it, starting it, really enjoying it, and wondering why you didn't like it the first time you read it because that happened to me recently. And I don't I don't know if that's a unique experience <laughs> to me because I'm a book hoarder and I read too much or. I now, did you rebuy the same copy? Because yeah. that would be really awesome. Yeah. No, sadly, I paid full full price for the okay. <laughs> the mass market paperback <laughs> off of Amazon. You know, seven or eight bucks, like just like I had the first time. You know, <laughs> eight years ago, it would have been really funny if you went into uh, half price books or something and found your copy and it had your bookmark in it or something. Yeah, <laughs> yeah, it's probably there on the shelf. I didn't even think. And yeah. Today's click and buy. Uh, you know, it was just like right, Amazon yeah. quick cart purchase. <laughs> uh, no, um, I, I can't say that. I don't think I've done that. Um, I mean, there's oh, books that I've it. stopped and then, but I haven't like sold them. I've like books I've stopped and literally like years and years later, then finally like, oh, maybe I should finally read this and, and start over. But, um, yeah, I don't. I don't think I've had that where I've rebought. I mean, I rebought a lot of gaming stuff, but not. <laughs> not yeah, uh, I. So, and why I rebought it years ago, Danner Matt had told me, check this book out. I'm really liking it, and he had started the series. Um, so Stephen Erickson is the author, and it's the Malazan Books of the Fallen or something like that. Is the the series? It's a ten book series. And I'd started the first book. I didn't really dig it. I put it aside and I never really came back to it. Well, I started reading. I'm looking around Gardens of the Moon. It's the first book in the Malazan series by Steven Erickson. And it's awesome. I'm just, I'm like tearing through it. I've read maybe 300 pages in the last four or five days. Um, and I don't know what was wrong with me the first time. I don't know why it didn't like click but now i'm reading it again and i already ordered the second book um and i'm i'm just every night i'm trying to read you know 20 30 minutes of it to to keep going so that's kind of my my library these days in a similar fashion i for i think the fourth time now started the name of the wind and i think it's just not for me because i'm now like 30 chapters in and I'm so bored. Oh, no. And I know that you guys love this book, but, like, I I just, I don't know. I don't, it's just not for me, I think. it's I, I Troy told me there was this hook that after that happens, I, I won't be able to stop. And I think I know what the hook is, and I don't want to say it just in case someone hasn't read it or whatever. But I just, I don't know. This thing happened, and I was like, okay, it's finally going to get exciting. And then it just went back to a boring story about an orphan. Oh my goodness! <laughs> wow. You also don't like the Mandalorian, though, right? So I mean, <laughs> yeah, I love fantasy books, though. So I, I was like, and I there's so many here. people that say that this is a, a great book, and that maybe I don't know. Well, you can you can go hang out with Paul, but but Paul doesn't like it for different reasons. But um, yeah, <laughs> I, and I get Paul's reasoning. <laughs> yeah, I do. I yeah, I totally actually I do. Yeah, because. Yeah, well, Bryce, I'm I'm sorry to hear that. We can still be friends because I won't judge you for for disliking something I hold dear. 
Um, I mean, I think I'll finish it because it's it's just one of those things that I'm now this far in, I'll probably finish it, but I don't know. Maybe it's just because he's a kid. He gets older, right? Does he go later into his life or is it yep. always about a kid? Well, he's not a kid and even in all that story. I mean, he's telling the story to the guy, but he's a kid in the portion of the okay. story he's telling. Yep. He does get <laughs> he does get older. Quoth does some growing. Yep. That's very that's very uh <laughs> we're, astute of, we're being yeah, spoiler free. Like yep. Yes, I like that. Yep. A book that's yep. ten that's eleven years old, twelve years old, but yep. well, you never know. Yep. You never know. It's uh, it's the equivalent of the the Lord of the Rings movies for me. I I can go back to it anytime, um, and I think I'm like I'm gonna try to reread or re-listen to it every couple years because it's like uh, I don't know. It's just a it has a special place in my in my heart, and that that's a story I really really enjoy. But to each their own. We all like different mm-hmm. things. Some people are fans of soccer. Some people are fans of volleyball um, or fishing, you know, kayaking. We don't all have to like the same things. And that's what's cool about our hobby and uh, what, what we do. So that's the positive message there. <laughs> I think it's because I'm in this comfortable chair and I'm talking to my friends. That oh, isn't it so just, nice? Yeah, yeah, and then let me say I don't like the Mandalorian, and listen to how you talk to me. Oh. Wow, wow, <laughs> you're just wrong. Yeah, yeah, you're just wrong. So you're just uh, wrong. <laughs> and and I will segue with that, and just and everybody's talking about it, but Falcon and Winter Soldier just finished that up. Really, that really, was a lot of fun. Oh, really, really good. Um, I I really like the idea that you can't binge it, and, and or you can, but you have to wait. I do like the week to week, like having the cliffhanger and and, and some of that of. of taking the journey uh, uh, through it as we watch. So uh, yeah, I recommend that. I think they, they did some really cool stuff um, in that series. They also, um, Crisis Protocol teased the um, the Falcon mm-hmm. new model, which is pretty cool that they're releasing. Yeah. It, was, uh, it was cool to see that. Well, I don't want to spoil it, so that's why nope. I... I haven't watched it yet either, but I I know obviously what happens. I think if you're f- fans of comics, you know what happens. Yeah. But yeah, I think that brings us to what will be our our main topic, but you know our our wrap up here. Uh, we're gonna take a short uh, refreshment break and pause the the recording, and then when we come back, we will talk about the pile closet shelf of opportunity or perhaps it's an entire wing of your house and we'll be right back and we are back hopefully that's not copyright infringement but we're going to talk about opportunity shelves Closets, rooms, storage units, um, estates. You know, if you're uh, uh, a man or a woman of of means, perhaps you have an entire, um, you know, farm dedicated to your opportunity. So first, though, we should probably tackle what what is an opportunity shelf or an opportunity pile. Um, 
and and what what that means. And I, I think this definition kind of shifts a little bit uh, dependent on on who you are and how you approach the hobby uh, and how significant your acquisition disorder uh, may be. Um, so I'm I'm going to start with what what I think the opportunity uh, in this case opportunity basement is um and it it is the hundreds of miniatures and game board pieces that uh remain unpainted or terrain that remains primed um you know and and not not painted or completed so it it grows every time i visit a game store or um you know go online and purchase six crisis protocol miniatures when i have another 26 still unpainted um but it is a a never-ending supply of um projects and and time that i can dedicate to the hobby uh so that that's how i determine what my opportunity um opportunity basement is troy what about what about you what is an opportunity shelf closet room etc to you um, so that is the, uh, whatever, I'm trying to think what side that is, south side of the basement of death. Uh, <laughs> that is where I keep all my uh, combination of maybe shrink-wrapped uh, boxes of miniatures in stacks and uh, and cabinets full of, of different things that um, I'm going to get to maybe someday on some, on <clears throat> some of that. Um, and some of it is... Yeah, some of it is for like I have a project in mind. Do that. Some of it is yeah, like you said, you just visit a store, you see something new, new something new comes out, and you get excited about it. Like, well, that's gonna be really cool. Um, I should I should grab that while I get a chance. Um, so that uh, so a lot of that. So it's just yeah, this big pile of stuff to get after. And some of it is yeah, half built projects uh, <laughs> that are uh, need to, need motivation to get through the other half. So. Uh, and yeah, so for me, it, yeah, it's like half a basement because I try not to, it's not, it's definitely not a shelf. <laughs> if you can keep it to one shelf, you're ahead of the game. Yep. <laughs> Bryce, how about you? What is, what is your opportunity uh, and kind of how do you define it? So I, I have a lot of projects, but my opportunity shelf is my closet on the left, which is six shelves high of things that aren't designated for a project that I'm working on, but more kind of what I touched on in the hobby section, something I can just open my closet and do that's completely different from, you know, the army that I'm working on or this or that, where, you know, I have 40 tables worth of terrain that have to get painted and I have this army and this army that I'm working on. The opportunity is the gray stuff that isn't part of any of that, that I can just when I'm feeling creative or feeling like just something different, I can open that left closet and, and do something completely different. I like that when you don't, that's unique to me, not considering it kind of a, a part of a on deck project. Cause I, I hadn't really thought of that when I think about like my stuff's on, on shelf or, you know, in bins, it's, it's not, you know, and it's also what's on my desk, like primed or ready to go. Um, but I like that distinction where it's truly like separate from what you're actively working on. Josh, how about you in the 3D printing uh, 
headquarters. <clears throat> well, and that's that's part of the problem, right? So, <laughs> not not only do you have the the shrink wrapped uh, miniature boxes and and terrain pieces and um, you know half assembled armies and you know armies that you've acquired from other people, but when you have a 3D printer, you also have terrain pieces <laughs> and other bits and bobs and doodads that you printed off for, oh, I really have this great idea for blah, right? And then those sit around as well. But you don't have a nice little box to put those in, so you end up finding different bins and boxes and whatnots to put that in. Uh, some of them are, are primed, some of them are not. And it ends up just making a giant mess. So I, I am not an organized person, if you know me. I am a bit of a scatter mess. And so I have scatter mess everywhere. <laughs> you put some very negative words in, in your opportunity <laughs> pile. Um, scatter, mess. <laughs> I think you even said disaster. I'm not sure. Um, yeah, yeah. I, I mean... A disaster can be an opportunity, right? You sure, know? sure. When life gives you <clears throat> lemons, make... Paint some miniatures. Painting miniature time. Um, so why, why is it that at least the four of us all have this? And I would, I would wager a guess that almost, I'm not going to say every person that plays like hobby, miniature, war games, board games because I'm sure some stay on top of it and, and limit themselves, but why do we all have this opportunity? Why, why is there all this stuff built up? Um, and I'll, I'll try to tackle my, my issue. And I, I think part of it is I always think about how cool something could be. Uh, and then I worry that if I don't, do it i'll regret it someday i'll be like oh, i really wish i had 57 crisis protocol models sitting there unpainted that never have been played but that's not true because it's the it's the the thought of how cool would it be if i paint all these and then have a massive like four-player crisis protocol game sometime and those thoughts are kind of what I think contribute to my opportunity uh, basement um, because I see something cool on Kickstarter. I see something cool online. I'm interested in it. So I buy it and it's, I do a pretty good job of limiting purchases to, you know, I'm not, I'm not like on A and E's hoarders, you know, with stuff ready to fall on me as I navigate my basement and I haven't spent tens of thousands of dollars on stuff just sitting here. But like I know it's it's more than I'll ever complete. Um just looking around me as I see, you know, some space marines partially painted, some terrain primed, the basing materials for those jungle bases. I'm like, it's it's all around me. I mean it's to all sides, but I don't I don't necessarily stop uh the the purchasing of stuff because I'm like, oh, I could do something with this someday. And it's you know, it's something to look forward to. So I think I, it's a combination of um, a lack of discipline <laughs> and uh, and uh, a little bit of fear of missing out too. Like, yep. you know, that 
FOMO is a, a real effect, not only of doing things and going places, but for me of like, oh, well, maybe someday I'll have this really cool painted army um, that I'll play at a tournament. And then I end up like selling it or doing something else with it in the meantime. But um, I, for me, that's that's probably the two contributing factors is a, a lack of discipline with like, you know, pulling the trigger on purchases. And then because I, I think of how cool it would be to someday have that painted or I envision what I would do with it um, and plot it out and then don't execute. But I, I think it's because I'm, I'm an ideas guy. I'm not always a follow through guy. So uh, Josh, how about you? Why, why do you think you have your opportunity other than because your 3D printer is an AI <laughs> that is trying to bury you in, um, in plastic? Yeah, I mean, I think uh, you hit the nail on the head with, you know, being disciplined. Um, that, that's definitely part of it. Um, the, the other thing I'll say is, yeah, ha having a great idea is awesome in your head. <laughs> like, it's, it's perfect in your head, right? Like, yeah. it's exactly the way you want it. When you start to mold that idea into actual being, you can screw it up. And that sometimes catches me, right? Like I'll, I'll start to do something and, and it doesn't turn out exactly the way I want or, it, you know, oh, that color's not great or, oh, I broke that arm or whatever it is, right? Um, having some of those mistakes sometimes deters you from, from finishing the project. So I, I have a little bit of that where it's it's almost like a, I, I want... I want to see exactly what's in my head come out onto the, onto, onto the palette, I guess. <laughs> I don't know. And, and it doesn't always transfer that way. And it's discouraging. Bryce, how about, how about you? Why, why do you think you have uh, that, that closet full of potential? I think it starts with my upbringing and I was a not so wealthy child and I didn't get all the cool shit I wanted when I was a kid. So now I feel like <laughs> I'm an adult and can afford it. I'm not going to hold myself back. So there's, there's definitely a little bit of that. Um, and not getting like the Ninja Turtle action figures I wanted as a kid. So oh. there's, there's that, but it, it's kind of a combination of what you and Josh said for me too. It's definitely the, I can see any model and think of a cool idea in my head. Problem usually is that I see too many things and think of too many cool things. And then it just continues to build up. Um, and it's just overwhelming. <laughs> I have so much stuff at this point that it's, it's every new thing I get usually just ends up in the opportunity closet because I'm still working on project a from three years ago. That's about half finished. So <laughs> Yeah, that's, that's the tough part is like keeping up, you know, it, it, and it feels, it feels like that ever growing supply, um, kind of like the national debt, you know, like, <laughs> <laughs> like, great, we balanced our budget this year. Let's, let's see how many trillion dollars we fall behind the, the curve next year. Um, Troy, what about you? Why, why do you have the south wing of the BOD? Full um, of opportunity. I, I'm. I'll go quick because I think you guys hit it on the head. I think we might have something. We might. We could write a paper or something on this. 
Uh, so I think it's a combination of not a lot of discipline, but a lot of that feeds into a little bit what Bryce says and disposable income. Like a lot of times it's just, you know what, if I'm on the fence, screw it, I can afford it. Right. <laughs> mm-hmm. I'm going to, I'm going to grab it. So I think there's, that's that some of it is I don't need to make that a hard choice. I can make an easy choice. And then, like you said, the FOMO of fear of missing out. Like I have a lot of things that are, you know, limited edition or they were, you know, and am I really ever going to paint that anniversary space Marine or whatever? But no, I, I feel good that, okay, I have this thing and maybe not everybody has it. Right. That, that but I don't, I don't know how much, yeah. <laughs> the question is how much is that really by me? And then I, as you guys said, and I had had it here as uh, I have more ideas than time like that. Yeah. <laughs> like you t- I think we all, it's interesting that we all talk about that. We all have this, these ideas for, Oh, I I could do this with that, and I should I should get that, and then kind of reality of like, well, yeah, but that idea is number ten in line between the other other nine ideas that you've had this week, right? <laughs> and that you also bought stuff for. So, yeah, definitely. Now, I'm gonna I'm gonna turn it a little bit. We talked about why we have it, um, and, and I think that this first part of this next question. Bryce, I want, I want you to really kind of talk about it more. You you mentioned that um, you have it there for you know when when you want to pick up something just just to do and creativity. So when and I, I think that's a contributing factor to when having this this access to this stuff is is good. But I want to I want to pull the thread on that and and elaborate a little bit when when this is a good thing to have as as a hobbyist as a gamer, um, you know to to have some uh, some variety in the the potential there. Yeah. So for me, it's, it's a twofold thing. I'd say first, first and foremost, if I have like a really stressful or busy day and I don't want to focus in on a project that I'm working on for whatever it is, if it's tournament army or painting or whatever, I, I like to just grab this thing that I have always wanted to do and just put some paint on it. Um, and also in the same kind of caveat, use it as a palette cleanser when I've been working on, you know, painting Nurgle for three weeks or painting the Sylvaneth army for a month and a half and finish one model. I can grab something different, completely different color palette, completely different, maybe even game and just paint it and not care about perfection and just use it as kind of something to feel proud of, but also having the probably the best feeling in the hobby of finishing something. <laughs> it's so it's one of those things where finishing a model, whether it's perfect or not perfect, it just feels so good to see it done and be able to play with it or put it on a shelf or whatever it is. So if you have one, one thing on the opportunity shelf, you can grab and finish. It can really help you get rolling into the project that you need to be working on for whatever it is. Yeah, that's, that's a good point. Um, Josh or Troy, any, anything else to, to kind of add to Bryce's take on when it, you know, when is it a good thing to, to have that opportunity shelf closet wing of the house? Um, I think again, I don't, I don't know if it's a hundred percent good, but things that I always feel, well, things that reinforce it, maybe we can figure out if this is good or bad in the end is when you can do that. Oh, I have that. Like you have this idea or one of you guys has an idea and I'm mm-hmm. like, Oh, I have that thing. Let me, I can give it to you or what, right. Yeah. It's just sitting on my shelf. Um, 
and it like i said sometimes that's actually maybe not the right reinforcement because it 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 it's like oh i have this inventory of <laughs> of stuff that i can <laughs> share but sometimes it comes in handy yeah. right it's like you're on a project and you have this th and you're working on something you're like oh i really wish i and you're like oh yeah let me look in there i think i do have i can scrounge this or or use that for bits or something else like that or 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 some of that so i i i think that that can be kind of a good thing from it right you have lots of options uh, a lot of times on some of that um and uh and for those like a little bit like Bryce was saying, I think there's when you do, and I think this is where my where I've seen I don't know success right is when I do have a project that I'm working on. A lot of times, it's what I found is right, it's that motivation for certain events, right, um, and running running different games and stuff like that, and just using that stuff to to fuel those projects and actually complete things and get them done. Um, as I sit here and I have this really cool painted 3d zombicide invader board right <laughs> that but that was all because of adepticon right that was all motivation around um, around an event and i had deadlines and i had a, an actual you know solid goal and and that really motivates me and and get stuff off the shelf <laughs> and actually built and painted and so forth and and by definition you know we're calling it an opportunity shelf closet whatever um, it, I mean, opportunities are generally good things, right? So, uh, they, whether you scavenge these things for, for bits or you turn it into terrain or, you know, you magically make an army out of all these, uh, gray plastic whatevers, uh, I, yeah, I mean, it, it could be a cool thing that you roll out with, uh, to help you and your friends have more fun. I will. Um, I will just agree with all of you because I, I think those are some really good points. Um, and and for me, what one thing that helps is I'll go for very long stretches with with not painting anything. Um, and it is nice to have variety, uh, so I don't I don't feel pigeonholed. I, I think I would really struggle if I did one thing at a time. I mean, I struggle at times with too many choices, but I also think that having, <clears throat> having that variety is, is important um, to, you know, if I want to paint a few buildings, I paint a few buildings. If I want to paint a few Necrons, paint a few Necrons, AOS, Cursity, whatever it is, like there's, there's something in my collection that kind of, you know, I can, I know I'll be able to, <laughs> to find something I'm, I'm interested in at, at that point in time. Um, not that I wouldn't just go buy it anyways, cause we've already talked about how I have a, a lack of discipline, but I was trying to find some positive there. So I, I think that variety helps. Um, on, on the flip side, and this, this is more, this is a pretty, you know, this could be a serious note. And I, and I think what's important too, is that we all, you know, or for the most part, we didn't mention, but we, I think we all agree that for us, it is, it is, we're in a position where we've got the, the privilege of, you know, disposable funds. Um, and, you know, we homeowners, family, pets, uh, you know, whatever we have priorities that we take care of. Um, and, and I think sometimes the, the acquisition or the hobby could possibly be a detriment to somebody's finances. So I'm, I'm not like encouraging you to, or anyone to go and buy a ton of stuff. Like, obviously you gotta be 
responsible. And I, I say tongue in cheek, you know, that I lack discipline. And to an extent I, I do, cause it's, you know, it's not, uh, it's not something I, I need. It's not a necessity and it's not obviously savings, but I think that's important to, to recognize that not everyone, you know, is in, in the same boat and there, there can be, um, <laughs> there can be opportunity piles that are, are a significant, uh, accrual of debt. Or, you know, if you're starting to buy models and not pay your utility bill, you, you may need to reevaluate, um, how how you're doing things and and I think that can be you know a a problem where acquisition is actually a uh you know an addictive thing and there are TV shows about you know trying to seek treatment and helping people so I, I just want to I think there is a negative side and we say this a little tongue in cheek but I want to be cognizant of that certainly it it can become problematic if if you're not in a position to to be able to um necessarily afford all of your hobbies and some people it's harder to and they're limited by their budget so what are what are some other ways though that your personal pile of opportunity could be problematic or or maybe a bad thing that you guys have experienced i touched on this earlier but uh, my organizational skills are terrible and so well uh i i have just kind of stuff in, in various places and it, it, it's not good. <laughs> uh, it, this might be more of an organizational problem than a, uh, a opportunity shelf problem, but, uh, yeah, I mean, it, it's, it, it's a mess. So yeah, I kind of having kind of a messy workspace, uh, having a messy back basement area isn't, isn't great. I mean, you know, it, that can kind of cause a problem. Uh, when when you're looking for shelf space or I want to work at my desk here and I have just kind of a, a section that's covered in miniatures or terrain or something, that's not, it's not ideal. So, um, yeah. I'll take that angle. Like the organization um, kind of things getting in the way angle. I'll take the distraction angle. Uh, it really makes it hard if you do have to focus on something or you're trying to focus on something, um, but you have this pile of really cool stuff you could be focusing on. It can be very hard to uh, stay on that thing you need to stay on, especially when your brain is constantly running on these projects you could be working on instead of the project you should be working on, um, like mine often does. So it can be a very big distraction. Yeah, and I, I think I'm similar to to Josh. Where it, one is just space, like like I met this. You know, some of it is just like the space to to keep stuff. And you look, and you're like, why? Why? I, I just bought this, and I don't even have a place on the shelf to to put it because there's four or five or twelve other bo- other boxes still in shrink wrap that are sitting on that on the shelf. Um, I think that's that's one. Uh, I you know one of the things I've done, especially on my board game thing is I've tried to keep myself constrained by my shelves. And if I don't have room on it, then I find something that gets, you know, kind of moved out. But, um, and then I, the other one too is I'll, I'll call it, I don't know, buyer's remorse in some respects. Um, is that, you know, you, you kind of find that you, you've got something or whatever, and you kind of, 
then beat yourself up a little bit like oh why i really didn't need this like again part of it is going to that shelf and like look i'm just putting this on the pile with a dozen other things that i still haven't put on I, maybe i really didn't need this um and that helps maybe in some of the disciplines so you don't do it next time um you know, I'm looking at one one of my examples. I don't know if it's really buyer's remorse. Like I, I see my Curse City. Like I have a Curse City copy over there. Um, and what got me on that was a little bit of the FOMO, right? There was a little bit of concern. Like, hey, is it before? You know, before it even said they kind of said that they weren't doing it anymore, right? It was kind of like, oh, this could be you know hard to get, or they might sell out or whatever. And so. And I was like on the fence. You guys were a little super excited on Curse City. I'm like, oh, yeah, well, if you guys play, maybe I'll play. Maybe I'll jump in on it. And literally, as soon as I opened it, I'm like, oh, I got it. That's great. But I'm probably never going to open the box, right? It, um, and it's just kind of that that feeling that just doesn't isn't great, right? And so you're kind of like, how do you make sure that you're really spending your energy on something that you're, you're getting and enjoying and whatever and don't have remorse or feel bad about afterward? I was saying I agree with you guys on on kind of all those points, and and I think for me the the biggest problem area with with it is when it gets in the in the way. You know, your desk is cluttered, your table's full of stuff, your shelves are are too full, and and Troy like that approach of you know if you have shelf space for it. Um, and I've I've tried to get there, and I, I think we'll probably talk about you know how do you how do you do this? How do you take care of your uh, your opportunity pile uh, and what some strategies are next. But for me, it's the, where, it, where it gets to be in the way and it starts to detract from your, your ability to relax and, you know, just have fun in, in your space because you're kind of surrounded by it or it's taking up too much room or, you know, things, things like that. So I, I think that's probably a good segue into what, you know, what are some things you either have done or ways you've tackled it to make a dent in it um and uh and I'll 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 start and I've I've talked about you know prior episodes how I made a conscious effort to go through my board game collection go through my miniatures find stuff I haven't touched or played in 5 years you know the first cut was like I haven't played this since I moved here or I haven't used this in so long it hasn't come out of the box so I I did multiple trips to Noble Knight and sold them secondhand so I'm you know I'm getting less less money than they're worth obviously but it helped me reduce the the feelings of stress from having a basement full of things i didn't use um and so like that that strategy has really worked for me to just wholesale fill some bins get a uh, you know send my my sell list to the noble knight is one of our stores here in state but I think they do nationwide. You can ship to them. So Noble Knight Games, um, and they sell stuff secondhand. So you you hope it's going to a good home at a ridiculous markup. But <laughs> <laughs> um, you know, it it just helps there. And then the the other thing that I, I would be remiss if I didn't mention is a lot of uh, tournaments that I go to for Age of Sigmar have a charity component, and a big part of that is raffle. So any any time that uh, I go to a tournament with a raffle. I go to my collection. I, I don't usually go buy new stuff, um, but I find stuff I haven't used and, and good stuff, you know, and, and um, provide, provide that for the raffle to, to kind of hope it, somebody sees it and it inspires them to buy a little, a few extra tickets and contribute to that, that charitable cause. Um, and that, that's been a really fun way for me to kind of take my 
what can be stressful pile of opportunity and, and turn it into, um, you know, a, a good cause. Um, so yeah, Troy, how about you? What are, what are some, we'll call them coping mechanisms, uh, but <laughs> what are some things you've done, uh, yep. with, with your pile of opportunity? Um. So uh, similar to you, right? It's kind of was that, especially I think we all did that in, in the quarantine times was this calling, like going through and just, yeah, doing the Marie Kondo, right? Like what, which of these things brings me joy and not, and, and sending a whole bunch of stuff over to Noble Knight. Uh, so I think that's one, like I, I kind of talked a little bit about just kind of setting limits on like finite, whatever it can be, finite space, finite number, finite, whatever, you know, it, um, I always think of, you know, like, Dan uh, from Cuban shenanigans, how he kind of has how many, you know, I only have this many armies, you know, and he has some condo, you know, his physical space, he has some constraints uh-huh. there. So that helps him in that, but he has some rules around that. And so I think if you can kind of create rules, whether they're a little bit artificial or not to just kind of say, Hey, here's how much stuff that I can kind of have, I want to have and, and make those choices. Um, it just helps, help helps you control it. And then uh, I think the other one is just that where I've been trying is really kind of pausing a little bit before you buy pausing think you know really have realistic am i really going to play this do i really need this now um i was just i was i was doing it last night with as i talked about the aliens game with um you know there was a wonderful miniature market right was telling me oh there's the expansions for aliens out there and you know your gut is like oh i'm a completionist right i should buy and then i was really like no I'm barely going to play the core game. Do I really need the expansion? That's just going to, you know, um, right. so some of that is just really just pausing and <laughs> having that realistic, like, and, and again, it's a case of like, if I really get excited about it, guess what? That'll still be on the shelf. I'm sure I can still get a copy of it. Um, even if it's a year from now, it'll probably still be around. Right. Um, and some of that. So, so that's where kind of what I'm trying to do not very well, but <laughs> that's what I try to do to control it. Good, good call, Josh. How about you? Well, like I mentioned, I'm I'm a terrible at organi- organization. Um, uh, over the pandemic, I I redid my gaming closet, so I I took everything out, redid the shelves, put everything back in, and that kind of helped. Kind of, I, I culled some things, uh, reorganized some things. That that really helped that closet. Um. I, I bought some shelves for the back room. Uh, I'm, I'm trying to just get things to have a place. And then all this extra stuff that doesn't have a place, uh, that's that's when I'm going to start, you know, <laughs> selling, giving away, uh, throwing away, you know, whatever it ends up being. If it has value, I'll, I'll try to get, you know, somebody to, to take it. If it doesn't have value, uh, you know might it might hit the bin so yeah that's that's kind of where i'm at uh i I bought a bunch of little bins to to like put half done projects in that don't have like a a box (laughs) and that sort of helped me you know i can kind of stack things up and i can grab just a little bin and work on the stuff in the bin and if i'm not done you know i can always put it back and put it back on the shelf and that that sort of helped me a little bit so just trying to come up with some creative ways to stay organized, I guess. Yeah, definitely. Organization is, is key. Um, Bryce, what are some of your ways of, of helping address the, 
the ever expanding uh, piles of opportunity. I'd say in the hobby, this is my my largest weakness because I, you guys talked about the fear of missing out from not purchasing things. I have the fear of missing out on things that I once owned that I no longer do because I can remember a few very, very horrific times where I was like, yeah, I have that in the closet. I'll just grab it and then I can do this conversion. And then I remembered that, oh, I gave that away or I donated that to a raffle and then I had to buy it again. So I <laughs> I struggle struggle very hard with the uh, coping, I guess. I think the, the best thing I do to cope is try to finish things um, so that, you know, I can add more new things to the opportunity closet and feel good about taking something out, but not giving it away where I'll never have it when I need that one bit in the box. (laughs) (laughs) Uh, That's, that's a good call. I, I think what's important here too, is we talk just, just a bit about how you can kind of create a strategy to get, something painted you know to to get it down and done and what what has worked for me other than you know the merciless ribbing of my friends to get me to actually commit to painting models um is a plan like a a test model figure out your scheme and then just kind of start start going um and, and i i think that's that's something that any of us that have painted like an army where you're trying to build a cohesive thing or, you know, meeting a deadline, you, you need the plan. And I didn't always have that. I used to be pretty, pretty random. I would do a model here. I do this, I do a color on four, but for me, if, if I get a plan, I write the recipe, I, I take these five models, I do them at a time, you know, what, whatever it is that, that helps me tackle it and divide it into uh, small bites. I, I don't know. I know Bryce, you're, you're coming off of kind of like your Nurgle project and some of that is, is there anything you do to help like chunk it down and strategize for when you're going to start painting something that, to make some progress? So the thing that I do that I find is makes me most successful is organizing my space and putting everything away in a place where it's inconvenient to get to it other than what I'm working on. So I have like six Tupperware containers and I'll put the one I'm working on on top and all the rest below it. So if I want to get to it, I have to move everything out of the closet and it's just a pain in the butt so that I really focus on the one thing that's there in front of me. And without a lot of effort, I I can't really work on anything else. And that helps me to focus on the, the one thing at hand and not get distracted too much, but it is incredibly challenging. Troy, uh, what are some ways when you think about, you know, segmenting out what's next up or moving things into for work? I know you've mentioned Kanban boards uh, and kind of that agile methodology (laughs) of, (laughs) of project planning, but what are some ways that you try to, you know, break it down and make it accessible to get to the table and, and get progress? Uh, a little bit of what I, I, you know, mentioned before was the deadline. Like if I have a deadline, then I can almost work backwards. Like so what I found it's, it's easier for me to kind of then work backwards from that and like, Oh, I need to get this part done. I need to make sure I have these assembled and these and, and, and got this time to get them painted so that I'm, I'm leading up to whatever the deadline or whatever I'm trying to get done. Um, and then I do, yeah, I have end up with lists, right? I just, and something it's funny, like I'll write the list and then maybe I won't even follow it, but 
just the mental exercise of like writing out that list of like, here's all the different steps I need to do, um, kind of helps me just organize my thoughts and approach and, and get through it. So. Very cool. Josh, what, um, what about you? And, and maybe this, you know, I think with your 3d printing and some of those projects, you've, you've lined up some bigger projects. Is there any way, I know obviously that's creating more opportunity in the grand scheme of things, but, um, you know, kind of your goal setting or, or ways that you, you bring things to the hobby table from your pile of opportunity ways you approach it. Yeah. I mean, uh, I, I, I like to, uh, especially if it's a larger project and there's some more tedious or less fun tasks and there's some more interesting tasks. Um, you know, a lot of times it's about motivation for me. So I like to mix in, you know, maybe start the, the evening with some things I don't really like, uh, while I have that drive and then finish the night with some stuff that I do really like. Um, and that kind of like leaves a good note for me for next time. Like, Oh, that was really fun. Instead of thinking about, instead of ending the night with stuff that you don't like to do, um, you end the night with something that you do like to do. Um, I, for, for me, that kind of, uh, I don't know, just keeps it fresh. Yeah. I, I think as, as we kind of think about our, um, our piles of opportunity and projects, you know, we, we set down the path of like the hobby accountability goals. And, um, when we think about kind of the reset there, we'll, we'll bring you all along on our, our journey. Um, but I, I know myself personally, I'm, I'm kind of in a place now where I'm, I'm trying to focus back on getting some hobby in. Um, and, and, and I think the rest of us are, are there too, where there's been an ebb and a flow for some, others have been making real steady progress, but we're all kind of falling in the sink with some, some goals and some things we want to get done. Um, unless there are any final thoughts on piles of opportunity, um, feel free to, you know, share it. There's a lot of conversation on Twitter, uh, and, and other places, uh, where people, uh, you know, talk about this. Um, we, uh, we had a funny moment on the discord that kind of prompted this where we all were sharing pictures of our, um, closets or wings of the basement or stacks of boxes. So it was, it was kind of fun to, you know, to tongue in cheek comment on, on everyone's positive opportunity. So we'd love to see, uh, what you've got or, or hear from, from any listeners on systems or ways of getting stuff done. I, I think it's, um, you know, it's a wide enough, uh, number of people in this hobby that, uh, everyone's kind of got their own take on it and their own way of doing things. And, um, hobby streaks between three days and I don't know, 1200 days, I think is the longest one I've seen <laughs> some of these up over a thousand. It's insane, but just ways of tackling it. So we would love to see that. We would love to hear from you. Um, and, uh, we, we share in this, this journey with you all. Um, so I, I think what is interesting about this episode versus uh, other episodes is there's been some traction in the upcoming events where you may you may see us. So real real quick, uh, before officially wrapping up, just want to talk about Gen Con sent out a press release. Um, they're going to try to do their show in September. They moved dates to kind of middle to end of September. Gamehole Con uh, has said they're going to try to do their show in kind of the third or fourth week of October. 
Um, so you're starting to see uh, some some traction towards that. I know uh, Steve Herner is going to try to do the um, Holy Wars in November. Uh, NashCon is slated for August. There's some stuff starting to get on the calendar. Now, obviously, it, it may or may not stick, but um, I know a few of us are are considering Gen Con from tickets we may have purchased the year before rolling over other other ways, but we'll see. But I think it's it's a positive trend. We talked a little bit about our own vaccinations and wanting to get some game nights uh, scheduled. So I think for the first time in a while, we're starting to see a little bit of glimmer there for maybe a chance of 2021 events. Um, you know, and, and looking forward to perhaps getting out, not 100% on any of them, but, you know, th thinking about it is fun to know that there's a future in which we might roll some <laughs> dice and move some models around, uh, share a beer with, with all of you and, and everyone. So um, some events coming up. A uh, couple other, other notes, just, you know, please, um, you know, share, share playing and slaying with your friends. If you know anyone that you want think may want to listen to the the four of us just ramble on um send them the link you know have them download an episode check us out we're always interested in, in getting some new um some new dice rollers and potentially beer drinkers or others in the fold uh so share it with a friend i uh, love love to see what you all have to say um and uh, go go from there. Maybe we can bring somebody else into the the plane and slaying family. Um, as always, reach out Facebook, plane and slaying, Twitter at plane and slaying show, or find us on the basementofdeath.com where you can also email all of us. I'm still waiting for my first email from from somebody that listens all the way through to the end of the show. And that's ty ty at basementofdeath.com. Or just forward it on to the intern. He's really a great guy, and he'll uh, he'll make sure that it gets to us. So uh, feel free to email the intern at basementofdeath.com. That's going to do it for episode 51. Hopefully you all have found ways to embrace the piles of opportunity. Um, and we look forward to, uh, to talking with you in the near future. For now, though, keep the dice rolling, the drinks on ice, and no matter what, keep playing and slaying. All right. By Mortarian's wings, we will get this show on the road. <laughs> what? Mortarian's wings? That, that's uh, an interesting choice. I think he's looking at his Mortarian. I've right. got Mortarian up here on a shelf. Yeah. I, I, I thought you would be more sanguineous, but I know. It's totally on the dark side. I also have Elena's old uh, cleric of Abadar model from our in-person Pathfinder Kingmaker campaign. <laughs>
nine or ten years ago. I was just gonna say I was gonna put a date on that and say that's gotta be almost ten years, right? So I'm like they watch me. The Incredible Hulk's up there, Venom, Groot. Techless fell today. Uh oh. Techless oh. usually watches me from up there. I have to glue him back on his base. Five, four, three.